You are listening to Two Jerks, One Vote with Jerkatorium reviewing the Spin Tunes 18 round three songs. And we've got a very special guest reviewer. It's Leone, also known as Crumpart of Hot Pink Halo. We said we weren't going to do this again, but we didn't hold up very long. We said we weren't going to do this, but then somehow we're right back here judging all of your songs. We could spend this time Something constructive, something really worth our while, but that's not our style. Two jerks, one vote. All right, well, welcome to Spin Tunes 18 Round 3, the Tell Me What You Want round where it's an I Want song for a musical that doesn't otherwise exist. We have uh, 21 competitors, I believe. No, that's not true. I think there are 21 songs total, including Shadows. 13 actual songs. Okay. I, this would have been so easy for me to look up in advance, but instead it's going to be immortalized on this podcast. Well, anyhow, just sort of like looking back, during our round two podcast, I was sort of patting the judges on the back for the round one rankings which were mostly devoid of the wild discrepancies we've seen in other competitions. <laughs> uh, and I noticed the biggest discrepancy in rankings for round one was, you know, a clearly organic difference in the scores between Chumpy and I for the Galashi song. And then I patted us on the back even more heartily for that, <laughs> since it indicated that Chumpy and I were not a voting block, you know, but then the round two rankings ended up being noticeably more discrepant with some extremely polarizing songs from, <laughs> Flubbubbubbub and the newfangled trolleys, and you might even fit Jim of Seattle, Chaz Rock, Stacking Theory, and Szymanski into that polarizing category too, to a lesser degree. And then you look at the round two rankings for Chaz Rock, Flubbubbubbub, and Szymanski, and Chumpy and I do look like a voting block in that one. And I am going to be very adamant in my claim that these rankings were also sincere and organic. I cannot suggest that the rankings of Chumpy and I were completely unaffected by our discussions of the songs during these podcasts, but that should be fine. You know, we've had suggestions in the past that we should finalize our rankings prior to the podcast, uh, and there was a time when I thought that was an idea worth exploring, but I don't feel that way anymore. I mean, I, I think we should be able to talk this stuff out. And if Chumpy thinks that my low ranking of a song was based on a misinterpretation or something, then I should let his advice influence my willingness to re-listen and reevaluate any song. How did you feel about the rankings? Pretty similar. I understand the discrepancies with the newfangled trolleys and how that song hit different people in different ways. So I can definitely understand why we had that discrepancy. And just to talk about us influencing each other during the podcast, I think that's a good thing. I think a lot of people talk about the songs prior to the judging. I don't know if other judges do it, but I think it's healthy. Often I don't get songs, and it's great when someone can kind of explain them to me and why they like them, and it sort of helps me better appreciate them. So it usually improves my rankings of songs. Rarely do I like a song and am I talked out of liking it because, you know, I heard someone's a negative opinion yeah i think also between doing the podcast and writing your reviews and ranking as well you listen to the songs more and you can change your mind about them yeah. which has happened to yeah. me several times 
So I don't think you should have your rankings finalized before you start. And it's worth noting that this time around, we're recording pretty early in the process. It is now Wednesday as we record. It's all my fault. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, these particular rankings may be a bit sort of more first impression-y more than usual. Yeah. I haven't actually heard any of the songs. I'm just basing my (laughs) reviews on the titles, what sounds like a neat title and and who I like. This is going to be brilliant. Going back to discrepancies in songs, I was super happy to listen to your podcast last week and to find out that Al didn't like Jim of Seattle because I thought I was alone. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I was missing something completely. And no, I'm not alone. I I think that's totally fair. I think all of that's totally fair. Polarizing, I don't think is the right way to, to even put that. But there are a lot of strong personalities, I think, that come through in a lot of these songs. A lot of people could take that different ways. Okay, well, I also want to give special props to Third Cat. Now, Third Cat noticed an error in the round two scoring, but not just any error. It was an error that, when corrected, results in his elimination when otherwise he would have been safe. Now, it turns out Third Cat is safe anyway due to Micah's intervention and also because the newfangled trolleys didn't submit a song. So there was a reinstatement that would have fallen to Third Cat anyway. But the point is that he selflessly uh, called attention to this issue, believing that it would eliminate him in favor of another band. And he did it because it was the right thing to do and because it was the honest and noble thing to do. So thank you, Third Cat. I see what you did. I appreciate and admire what you did. Uh, You're an excellent guy and an excellent musician. And um, from what I hear, you're probably one of the best cats in your household. I'm guessing somewhere (laughs) in the top three. That's happened once before. Yeah, it Edric Helene, because there was some sort of a discrepancy with, I think, Tommy's rankings. That's right. uh, Of the songs and like it showed up in one of the lists as the order in which the songs showed up in Bandcamp instead of the uh, rankings that he actually gave them. That's right. But yeah, uh, really cool to do that. And um, good to know that we are being audited (laughs) because there's a precedent for (laughs) for arithmetic being wrong in spin tunes. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking artists. <laughs> I should introduce our very, very special guest. It's Leone, who's one of the judges, also better known as Hot Pink Halo and also known as Crump Art. Leone has submitted 38 songs to different song fights. And uh, she's also done some of the other competitions and some of the other side fights. And she also does fabulous art. She's done some wonderful videos for some of the Song Fight Live video feeds. And also she has a lot of great art at crumpart.net. Welcome all the way from Ireland, Leone. Thanks for yes, joining with, us. With this beautiful Cork accent that I have. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very convincing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, this is... This American audience might not be able to tell the difference anyway. <laughs> it's probably true. Not yeah. to, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, it's partly American. It's mostly Russian bots who are listening. But we do have some American listeners. So, yeah, you, you, we were discussing earlier before the podcast about you how you came to start doing song fights. 
Uh, my husband um, is Toshiro, and he has been song fighting for a long time, him and Gizzo, who is Stacking Theory. And so, like, early days, like 2005 or so. And I've always liked music, but I just never really thought that I could do it before for whatever reason. I don't know why. And then we moved to Ireland and then we moved to Cork. And at Cork City Library, they've got a lot of music books because Rory Gallagher, the famous blues guitarist, was from Cork. So when he died, they they set up this big music library at Cork. And I came home one day and I made an Instagram story post that I thought nobody watched. Like I was playing guitar and I was playing it very, very, very badly at the time. (laughs) And I thought that nobody would watch it, but so many people watched it. (laughs) And Giz watched it and he said we should join song fight. So we started song fighting. I think there was a song fight due like two days later or something. So we, we scrambled something together. And then we ended up not doing stuff together. We've been doing stuff separately, but it's been super fun. I think his band name around about that time was Gizzo versus the 17,445. And I'm the 17,445. <laughs> nice. Okay. That was a theme in Songfight for a while, right? It was band versus band when they would collaborate together. That's an old school Songfight-ism, I think. Yeah, probably. But yeah, the, the 17,445 is the 17,445 kilometers between Cork oh. and Melbourne. Got it. Wow. wow. So another song fighter who didn't find out through front a lot. That's uh, great. It happens. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it's uh, it's neat, neat to get one of these uh, unicorns again. But also, like, like, I remember from your videos that your art, I saw you do some very, really cool printmaking. And I know that you did, you're not just printmaking, but other things too. And it seems like such a, uh, I don't know how to put it, like printmaking seems like uh, a couple of extra steps when a lot of people might just draw <laughs> or... That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly why people who like printmaking like printmaking. <laughs> Okay, cool. I mean, it's it's it. Your results turn out wonderful, and I would recommend that anybody go ahead and check out your videos, which have shown you creating art in the moment, and uh, and they're a delight to watch. But uh, but yeah, it's it's excessive. I used to do line of cuts, but I never got around to actually you know sort of going to a, a press. I yeah, just... I've got a press right in front of me right now. It's covered with a duvet so that the big metal plate in it doesn't bounce sound everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so how does one come around to doing that instead of instead of painting, instead of just canvases or whatever? Uh, my high school art teacher was a printmaker. So we did printmaking from like 13 years old at high school. And I thought everybody did printmaking. And then the boys' school came over to do a life drawing class one day. And they're like, what's that? And pointed uh, at the press and we we're like, it's a printing press, you dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it is? And that's when I learned that printmaking wasn't normal. Okay. Yeah. It's not as portable. Uh, no. Well, it can be, but but yeah. usually not. All right. Well, so uh, I had a chance for my rants. Does anybody else have any rants or anything else that they want to cover before we get into the actual reviews? Nothing no here. rants, really. But um, okay. before I start saying mean things about people, 
I would like to remind everybody that I actually like all the songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this this round sucks because you know that we're going to wipe out, I think, what, everybody except for four? That's right. Competitors. And, you know, it's it's always a huge slash away and you're always losing, you know, people making songs that you enjoy. But this is going to be particularly brutal, I think. And we're going to be putting, you know, in the bottom nine songs that we enjoyed a lot this round, which is uh, a shame and it's a uh, it's a drag. So just thinking that, you know, you're going to get around to ranking somebody five and you're going to be thinking like, well, how is this person not in the top four? And the only reason is because the top four is busy with other songs that you loved. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a drag. This is definitely not the round to phone it in or play it safe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, for the reviews, though, too, I started out, I, I didn't do this for all of them. But I started out um, noting uh, at the beginning of each of my reviews uh, what was wanted and who wanted it. And then uh, at the end of my notes for these songs, for these reviews, I also kind of mentioned whether or not I would want to see the rest of this musical. So it's up to you guys whether or not you want to entertain that sort of a question, too. But I'm certainly going to bring it up. Cool. Well, I'm glad you did that because I didn't. <laughs> so I probably would have forgot who wanted what. I, well, I noted the, if I sort of related with what the singer or the protagonist wanted. Yeah, yeah I think I did that as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started with the reviews. All right. We're going to start this out with Chaz Rock and his song Job Interview. I'd be the perfect culture fit in dirt through pain and torturing. I'd scrub your vilest stains away from carpet tile and porcelain. And when I've truly earned it through the burns and weeping sores, I swear you'll turn and say, hey, kid, we need your talents on the floor. Where? Once more, I'm going to kill it. Fill the orders while erasing all the records and the body of the sucker I'm replacing. Send a million cardboard boxes to a million dirty dumps to flirt with upper management until they say, go pack your trunks, you're moving up. So as I understand it, the protagonist wants to make a living and wants to get his start on climbing the career ladder, even though he hates the whole system and certainly resents it all. Many of us have been there, I think, and it really sucks to be in a position where you are desperate to, you know, to get a job in order to, you know, eat and live indoors. So you're desperate to get accepted and installed into this dysfunctional system where you are bound to be mistreated. And that whole thing just is, is awful. So uh, this is, I think, a really good sort of scream about that when it comes right down to it. And he does a lot of you know really interesting vocalizations, I think. But I think the song is cool. This song has turned me from a Chaz Rock doubter to a Chaz Rock apologist. And I would definitely like to see this musical and I'd like to see where it goes. You know, the performance is passionate and stylish and kind of funny. I do think that lamb sacrifice bit might not have scanned as well as Chaz Rock intended, but it was a fun section of the song anyway. Yeah, I enjoyed the sort of frantic rap verses. 
And it reminded me a little bit of how Lin-Manuel Miranda might deliver them. I did note that they were a little bit one-note angry, but pretty well delivered. The chorus, when it comes in, the transition between the kind of shouty rap and the sung chorus is a little bit jarring. I mean, those two worlds are very, very different. And I'm not sure if it entirely works. It's hard to make out the chorus lyrics without the lyric sheet. Maybe the vocals were a little low in the mix there. I definitely enjoyed the, the I want a job theme, and it was just sort of smart and funny. I liked some of the rhymes a lot, and they really rolled off the tongue the way he rapped them, like millionaire by 40 and accordingly, apologist, anthropologist, all of this. The rhymes were very tight and well done in places. I enjoyed the rock guitar stabs. And yeah, overall this was good. I can get behind the feeling that I just need a damn job and I don't want to have to like pretend this is going to be the most wonderful experience or whatever. I just need a job because I need a job. So I could get the feeling behind this song and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I totally can get the feeling behind the song as well. And I don't mind it, but I don't think I love it. I think it feels a bit scattered and I think it would probably work really well as part of a full production, but I'm not convinced that it's really good as a standalone song. Like, I'm not sure if I would go back and listen to this outside of the context of what the imagined musical is. And my very first note is that it's very loud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's mastered very intensely. He does do a bit of shouting in it too. Um, There are a couple of other little notes that I made as well. Like, I found a lot of the lyrics really good, but there were a couple that kind of grated on me a bit. Like, endure through pain and torturing should grammatically be endure through pain and torture, but then torture doesn't rhyme with porcelain. So, <laughs> And just just something that I found kind of funny. We don't use the word trunk for, like, the boot of a car here. That's an American thing. Right. So I kept tripping up on the, the line, pack your trunk, because trunks to me are underwear, <laughs> which gives pack your trunks a whole different meaning. <laughs> And the coughing sound effects, probably fine before March 2020, and now they just really set me on edge and I can't handle them in a song. Right. It was That was during the, the That was prayer. the lamb sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. It was just all, like, nonsense verbalizations and then some weird coughing sounds. I think the first time I listened to it, I was on a bus as well. So uh-huh. I probably thought that somebody was sitting behind me coughing. Well, Chumpy, you mentioned a comparison to Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I noticed that too, but, you know, you're the Hamilton dude, so I didn't want to. I'm also the Hamilton dude. You're also the Hamilton dude. Okay, all right. So is that, I mean, because I kind of noted that too, but is is that apt? Yeah, there's lots of internal rhymes and stuff, which Lin-Manuel Miranda does a lot. And just that kind of like switching out between different styles and things was sort of similar as well. And the delivery and how kind of near the end he sort of adopts a different delivery, a more laid back sort of a tone. And yeah. Yeah. And the general enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, The general enthusiasm is definitely what I picked up on. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda may have been one of the first to rap in a musical. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's the first that uh, I was aware of. I think the very first, I might've even heard this on one of your podcasts in the past was The Music Man. Have you seen that? No. An old film? Um, I haven't seen that. It's 
maybe I didn't. Maybe somebody just mentioned it on the song fight boards one time. But there's a that's a super super fun musical, and there's a sort of wrapped song from that, and that's like the fifties or the sixties. Yeah, the trouble one. Trouble in River City. Yeah, the whole conceit of Music Man is that he's not musical, so it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, super fun musical, and if you haven't seen it, you should. Okay, why don't we move on to Simansky with "Climb Up the Leaderboard." The rock and the fall of '94. I've been practicing all summer long. A couple more years before, got my eyes on the prize, and my Sega Mega Drive has never let me down before. So I'm gonna climb up the leaderboard. Gonna climb. I'm on the leaderboard I never cheat the system I don't need your economic code My fingers and thumbs can work their magic with them and them alone And my blue So right away I appreciated the cool 80s retro synth sounds I did have a note that I thought some of those synth stabs were pretty loud in the mix compared to the vocal, so I did wonder I had a that bit. exact same note. So. Yeah, but they do sound good. I think Szymanski really likes these 80s retro synth sounds, and I don't blame him. They do sound cool. Another note I had is that the singing here, Szymanski's got a great singing voice, and he's got really strong vocals with a lot of character, and I appreciate that. But there was, I thought, a missed opportunity at one point. There's this line, all-time high... And he sings high on a high note, like with backing vocals. And that's a really neat thing to do is when you sing the word high and you go into a high note, it's kind of just a, I forget there's a term for that, but it's a neat effect. But unfortunately- the, sound painting. Okay, sound painting. The, um, that high was barely audible and I could tell it was there, but I felt it could have been leaned into a little bit more and you could really hear that high on the high note. I thought some of the harmonies, like on the word climb, on climb up the leaderboard, just didn't sound right to me. They weren't as sweet as I would have wanted them to have been. Like maybe there was a dissonant interval in there somewhere. I thought the chiptune sounds at the end were definitely legit sounding and they were right on. Those were excellent bleeps and bloops. And I also had a note about the chorus, which I thought was weird in a couple different ways. Like, it felt like it brought the energy of the song down rather than up. Like, the chorus got quieter and there were less instruments. The chorus is also just pretty short compared to the rest of it. And I didn't think the melody was very compelling. Like, the line, climb up the leaderboard, I would have liked to have had that been hookier. And something that I could really sink my teeth into and remember and kind of have that be also the title of the song. So I thought that was a little bit unsatisfying. But overall, I appreciated the cool sort of retro 80s sounds of the song. And uh, I got what he was going for. I really like this one. Again, I thought that the synths were just a little bit too loud and the vocals were a little bit too quiet. So you could just adjust those just a little bit and it would be pretty spot on. I liked his little vocal flourishes, like the cl- I, 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 I'm up the leaderboard. And so he started out with those and then later on he ditched those and started going for sort of like full sung words. And I thought that was a nice change. Like I liked it with it and I liked it without it. 
and I liked the combination of both together in the same song. My very first note doesn't have anything to do with the song, and it's probably a note for everybody in general, and I think it is something that I've mentioned in somebody else's review so far, and it's don't tell me what you did wrong in your bio before I've got a chance to make up my own mind about the song. Yeah, I think we got a lot of that in a lot of bios. (laughs) This person's sick, that person didn't have any time, etc. Yeah, I I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to put a too fine a point on it, but yeah. we don't That's, care. But yeah, that, that was the thing I learned in art school is like we would have to put up our work for review and we weren't allowed to say anything about it. We just had to put it up and let other people talk. And part of that is to kind of stop you from explaining your work to people before they've had a chance to judge it for themselves. And if you're talking down yourself before you even start, if somebody likes your song, then they feel like an idiot for liking it, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. One other thing I noticed was there are a few little inconsistencies with tense and stuff in the lyrics. Like, I've been practicing all summer long for a couple of years before. Like, that as a sentence just doesn't make particular sense. And some of the things are feel a bit jumbled, but when he's actually singing them, it makes sense. So I don't know if it matters that much. But, yeah, I really liked this one. I'm not sure. I think maybe actually sort of being compelled to read along with a song or, or you know, read the song bio before giving it a real uh, review. It can sometimes detract a little bit. Like I think about, you know, Jurgatorium songs where we've taken so many liberties. Our grammar was terrible just to try and like get this one rhyme that we thought was brilliant in there. And I think when people listen to it, they don't care. But then when they have to kind of sit down and and actually think about it and say something about it or write down something about it in terms of a review, then they have to reassess based on our terrible, terrible grammar that was, again, just to... (laughs) Yeah, and I've I've been trying to listen to these without reading anything first. So I'll do like a first first couple of listens just, just listening to the songs. So when I went back and read that, it's like, huh, is that what he said? I think that's the best way to influence yourself too, where you can say like, well, you're going to give them more credit because you enjoyed it so much before you, <laughs> before you knew before about I the song. realized it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Before you convinced me that it was garbage. <laughs> did, did either of you think that this song was about the spin tunes leaderboard on first listen? No, because okay. the chip tunes. I wasn't sure on first listen. I was like, oh, I wonder if he's talking about these competitions because they are song competitions and they do have a leaderboard more or less. That I mean, literally not... hasn't crossed my mind until you've said it just now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... it's not a, a cumulative leaderboard or anything, so it's not really a leaderboard, but it is, you know, ranked. Yeah, I think the video game sounds sort of gave it away. Okay. So you... it was just me then. All right, whatever. Let's see. So I have here uh, eSports competitor Chris Tang wants to win the $25,000 Sonic the Hedgehog video game competition. (sighs) That was the I want part of it. Szymanski's song bio reads like uh, journal entries, like a whole group of, you know, week-long journal entries. And I like that. I thought it was a neat read to kind of get his whole process, despite sort of his own frustrations with his own work that are voiced there. Uh, And I thought his vocals on the song are so good and so amazing that I'm wondering how I haven't raved about them in the past. Like, I I wonder if he's doing something noticeably better with them in this song. Like, maybe he's, 
like closer to his ideal kind of vocal range or something like that. I don't know, but I thought his voice was amazing. And uh, some of those harmonies at the end might be a little off, but I didn't really mind. I think if this had different backing music, the song would be way too over serious. Like the vocal line is all over the top, agonizing melodrama. And if it had electric guitars and bad synth <laughs> strings behind it, you'd have a white snake power ballad or a foreigner song. But instead, it's this boppy, fun, engaging backing track, and uh, it makes the whole song appealing. Having said all of that, I have no interest in seeing this musical. Zero. <laughs> this, this musical has nothing for me. Video I like games. what um, Szymanski has been doing with all of his songs so far in Spin Tunes, which is just taking this tiny little inconsequential thing and making a big dramatic song out of it. I know some people get frustrated by that, but I really like it. Especially, yeah, I remember last round, yeah. He especially did that in round one with his passion for orange juice. Yeah, but then in round two, just making a court case out of his daughter, <laughs> Yeah, you know, waking him up at night, so... Uh, he he definitely had a just a great character to his voice in the round one song, and I really loved it for that. And I didn't honestly care that he was singing about orange juice just because his voice was so amazing. Yeah. This is Brian Gray, my people. Cold beer, warm cheer, and it's easy. It's so easy for them. And I just sit here where nobody sees me because nobody sees me. Hand clap, back slap, and somehow they're best friends with everyone in the crowd. Mugs clink, spill drink. And how are they laughing so loud? So I guess I'll go, cause I've seen this scene enough before to know. In every corner of the world, you see the same thing play out a different way but in some dark corner of the world could there actually be a pack for me to find where i'm perfectly aligned with my folk my kin my kind my people I personally thought it was very thoughtful of Brian to start with a shout of victory right after Seamansky was singing about climbing up the leaderboard. That was a nice <laughs> little transition. I also thought just with this song, it sort of starts out panned to the left and then as the character walks through from one room to the next, the, the lyrics pan slightly to the right. And I thought that was a cool way to mark sort of like a shift in location. I think I didn't quite notice that the first time. And I just was wondering why the lyrics were panned a little bit to the right the whole way. But then when I went back and listened again, I realized that's what he'd done. I really like this song. It's a single point of view song, but I think the themes are universal enough that he could have maybe brought in some other people towards the end as kind of like a medley or backing or something. And I'd really like some kind of choir type singing to come in near the end. But I, again, I understand why he didn't do that. What did you think, Ryan? Let's see. I wrote down here that the want is that Globron wants friends. <laughs> That's right. Uh, or And or family or people or a community or whatever. He wants people. Who understand him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. People he, he jives with. So uh, I think it's a lovely song. And it's one of those songs where I find that I have very little to talk about because it's just a great song. And 
I guess maybe it's difficult to see exactly how it's going to fit in with the rest of the Gleebleverse narrative, but there's no way that I can gripe about that because uh, it'd be unfair to judge this as anything other than a standalone song. And as a standalone song, it's wonderful. I would happily listen to this over and over again, just completely out of context of anything else. But I can also hear this as like a Disney musical. I I can hear this sung by a Disney princess. (laughs) Me too. In my mind's eye, I can see Brian on a stage with his arms outstretched and the camera like circling him from above. (laughs) Just, I can really see that. This doesn't have to be an alien warlord. This can be (laughs) anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's what that's what most good musicals are about. Like they're about things that are fanciful and alien, but the really good ones are ones that you can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and of course, I do want to see this musical, this whole musical. Yeah, me too. I definitely want to see this whole musical. Yeah, this this musical when it's done is probably going to be forty eight hours from <laughs> beginning to end. And I'll sit through the entire thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna with with all the merch. I'm gonna get all the merch. <laughs> it's like that that harry potter one where they go for three hours and then they have an intermission for like an hour and then they come back for another three hours in the same day or something i saw that i uh, actually saw that good? in new york uh, we we went and saw the second part on another day so yeah it was pretty good and the special effects were pretty amazing for a musical well there was no music it was just a play now that i think about it I'm not gonna go and see that then <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. One of the things that impressed me is, you know, I've I think I've commented that Brian is a really strong singer, and I, I heard it a lot this time around. I, I feel like he's really good at emoting with his voice, and he's got a solid vibrato, and he uses it well. So that's one of the things that I just can't do at all. So I'm really jealous. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous. Yeah, definitely turning green here. And I read in his bio that he had to restrain himself from like getting too fast with the instrumentation and that he wanted to build the arrangement slowly. And as I sort of listened for that, I could kind of hear what he was talking about. And I think I appreciated that. So he sort of built the orchestration at the end. And I think it made it a little bit more satisfying that way when yeah, the, the final chorus, when it all swells up together. And then at the very, very end, like it gets quiet and there's just sort of a quiet piano ending, which I thought is a nice touch. I also appreciated that he did some things with the strings that were different than what people who don't play strings normally do with strings. Like usually people will just have them as a pad and they won't put any articulations on them. And he definitely put some articulations and stuff in that worked really well. Yeah. Like I think it was one of these articulations where you play back and forth very quickly with the bow. Yeah. Tremolo. Tremolo. There we go. And it kind of has a spooky sound to it or a tension building sound to it. Very cool. Yeah. And I also noticed on the final chorus, I think he uh, did one of those gear change, key changes, one of those change, yes. gear ups. And I think that's pretty common, I think, in these kinds of like uh, musicals. And so I thought that was a, a nice touch. If I had to complain about some things, one thing I noticed in some of the other songs that were, I thought, had really, really standout productions... People sounded like they were singing from a stage, like they had a sort of a room sound, and you could hear the reverberations from the walls and in the theater. Like, Brian's vocals seemed a little bit dull. It didn't really sound like he was singing from a stage. And I think maybe with some 
you know, some work with some convolution reverbs or something, he may have been able to get that sound. So maybe it's just the different gravity on that other planet. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was on earth though, like post invasion that it was taking place in, but anyway. Yeah. So I, I also liked this song quite a bit and didn't have a lot to complain about other than that. Yeah, I think it's one that kind of passed me by a little bit the first time I listened to it. But again, as I've listened to it more and more, I appreciate it more and more. All right, let's move on to The Dutch Widows and their song Trapped. Perhaps an hour has passed I'm encased in steel Subatomic beats thinking Am I even real? Breathless and sealed in my bones Strapulate, I find that I'm alive Paraflask, my heart task is to die The want in this is that Schrodinger's cat wants to get out of the box and it wants to live. I don't have a lot of notes here. That nearly constant synth string sound got old pretty quickly, though, I think. Pretty we quick. were just talking about synth strings and how you know they can be used well and not well. And I think this was just, just that one sort of constant hum in the background didn't work so well for me. And I can't help but wonder also if maybe that was my headphones that I could hear them better because I don't think that I could hear them as well on my uh, earbuds but uh, when I put on my headphones it it just really seemed like not ideal I do think the guitar sounds really nice though and in general though I was all in on the Dutch Widows uh, for the first couple of rounds but this one got away from me I never really felt engaged by the song and even though it's only four minutes it felt to me like it just goes on and on and on so yeah, if you want me, I'll be out doing that awkward men dance instead of re-listening to this trap song. <laughs> and I'm not sure that I need to to see the rest of this uh, musical either. Yeah, I've, we probably all had the note on that sort of synthy sounding strings. And uh, Leonie mentioned articulations, and maybe there was some articulation that would make it sound less synthetic and more like a real string that might have helped. And also, I know that the singer had difficulty with their vocals. They were sick, and they were kind of croaky. And I think that they really went overboard on the tuning software. Like you. Oh, I, I made a note that I that says I wish it had more T pain. <laughs> oh, really? Like you think they didn't go far enough? <laughs> didn't go far enough. Yeah. Well, maybe less or a lot more would have been better. Um, yeah, Either I also found all robot or or like no yeah, robot slightly or less robotic. <laughs> I also noticed that a lot of word endings got chopped off in a weird way. Like there's this line, uh, "Breathless and sealed in my box," and I heard "Breathless and sealed in my ba," like the X just got cut off. And then there was another line, "Hold on to life," and I heard "Hold on to lie," like the F just got cut off. And, you Would know, DSers uh, do that? Like too too much DSing? Maybe aggressive DSing was at fault there. Or maybe but... a noise gate or something. Yeah. yeah. 
It definitely chopped a lot of those word endings off, which sounded a little bit strange. And I thought the idea of Schrodinger's cat was interesting, but oh my god, the song was really bleak. And I had a hard time getting really engaged with it for that reason. It was sad, and I know that the cat is either dead or not dead, but probably dead. I don't know. I had a hard time really getting into it. And I also noticed that some of the rhymes were not very satisfying. You know, rhymes like pry and die and die and life and alive and lives and fear and hear. I mean, they're really tight rhymes and they're not, just weren't that great. Well, I like sad existential crisis songs. (laughs) This was right up my alley. Um, I thought it was a really cool idea for a song. It's super existential. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very, very. It's extra existential. (laughs) The first time I listened to it, it sort of just didn't really pay much attention. And then the line, you claim my fame will outlast my nine lives. I thought that was a really fun line. It sort of made me sit up and listen. And I wish it had more T-Pain. I wish it sounded more robotic just because of that kind of existential crisis kind of idea. Like, is the cat alive or dead? I think that those robot sounds help sort of distance the ideas from... Fuck. (laughs) Well, no, I I think I get it. I mean, it's it's a character then. Yeah. It's a character and a concept instead of a cat or a person. Uh, Yeah, and the cat's not necessarily saying it aloud. It's something that's just playing in their head. Yeah. Honestly, I was kind of wondering if maybe the, you know, it's sort of a whiny song, and I was wondering if he was trying to maybe emulate a cat uh, in sort of delivery. Because it is kind of, you know, that's that's not how it sounds. But you know what I mean. But yeah, I've I've enjoyed this more the more times I've listened to it again. So I don't know how the hell I'm going to do any of my rankings (laughs) because i keep changing my mind on everything all right what do you say we move on to bucket hat bobby matheson with gorfeldt's third keep the band together when i first left the circus i had nowhere to go in search of fame and riches dreamed of starting my own show But then, I met you reprobates, and now I think I know, if we keep this band together, our fortune's sure to grow. So, you are circus performers, then? Ew, no. Er, do I look like a circus performer to you? Let me educate you. The name is Fairborn Silverfish. The law won't be in jail. But keep that name under your hat. Dead dwarves tell no tales. When we get paid, you're on your own. I'll steal a ship and bail. But if we keep this band together, there'll be no ocean you can't sail. So let's keep the band together. We'll keep the law off of your- So Ryan, you may recall Spin Tune 16 Round 2, and I think that was entitled Count Me In. Okay. And there was a song called Counting Dice by Bucket Hat Bobby Matheson that was all about playing Dungeons and Dragons. So and that does ring a bell. Yeah. It's another D&D song. And I mentioned mm-hmm. at the time on our podcast that Dungeons and Dragons is really not my favorite topic. And 
I think my idea of hell is being trapped at a dinner party with someone explaining their Dungeons and Dragons campaign <laughs> to me, like same, over and over. And you know, I like are, wait, wait, wait. Are you attacking some of your friends here? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. I'm attacking my own husband. Yeah, my one of my best friends is an avid D and D player, and I I hear perhaps way too much about it for my liking. But anyway, enough of my personal life. <laughs> But what I did like about this in the D&D aspect is that the people who were playing this game were having an awesome time. Like, they loved their silly accents, they got into their characters. Um, you know, I could tell that the people involved were really having fun. And despite my being grumpy about it, you know, being a D&D song, that bit actually charmed me a little bit. I especially liked Red's character. And she was just like, whatever. No, I don't want to sing this stupid song, Bobby, but I will. <laughs> I just thought that was cool. So I liked hearing all the perspectives of the different characters, but there was some stuff that grated on me quite a lot initially. Like, the over-the-top fake accents were a little bit hard to take initially, and there's a lot of talk singing in this. Uh, I think only Bobby does the singing in his character, and the Bard's character. And only in certain places, so a lot of talk singing, a lot of accents, and I think it works really well as an I Want song, because it's clear that the Bard's character is, you know, not so much into the being a member of the party for the looting and the treasure and the killing of monsters, but, you know, he just wants to belong in a group and keeping the band together, as it were. And, you know, when each character talks about their motivation, the bard would kind of always bring it back to, yes, but we must keep the band together. And it was it was cool how it kept returning to that theme. And I know that Bobby had talked about trying to give each character their own sort of instrument or some of their own instrumentation to make them stand out a little bit. And I thought that was subtle, and it didn't quite work well enough for me. And I thought that some of the changes in music could have been a little bit more dramatic by you know, changing the tempo or the key or the time signature in addition to adding a couple more instruments just to make those sections stand out. But, you know, overall, this is a fun song and I think the people making it had a lot of fun, so I can appreciate it for that. I'm glad the people making it had a fun time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get past fake accents in songs. Like, I literally couldn't tell you anything much about this song except that it's got fake accents in it. And I realise that most people feel less strongly about this than I do, and it probably stems from I'm an immigrant and I live in Europe and I hear a lot of different accents on any given day, but also I have one of the most butchered accents in the world. Like when people try and do my accent, they can't do it, and I react really badly every time I hear it happen. Got to shut that down. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I've got no notes on this other than I don't like fake accents in songs. <laughs> That's fair. I I have that note in my own notes. Chumpy already mentioned that uh, the I want is that Gorefelt wants to keep his band of adventurers together. But I think that the reason that he wants to keep them together is because he also wants money and he gets more money if the band of adventurers works together. At least that's kind of the impression that I got. Now, it could just be that it could be camaraderie, but I think it's money. Um, Are you slandering Gorfelt? I'm just being practical. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm the realist. But anyhow, in Mr. Matheson's song bio, he suggests that if 
some of the judges are biased against D&D songs, that we can all consider this a song from an animated musical feature about a fantasy adventure story instead of D&D. And Bobby posits this as if it would be an improvement. I had to read that over several times to make sure that that's what he was actually saying because... <laughs> it's not an improvement. Well, I mean, I, I'm trying to... Here, I will list all of the animated musical fantasy adventure stories that have good songs in them. Done. Okay. So, I mean, right? Because, like, I remember The Hobbit had songs and those were all terrible. Um, God, I hated that movie so much. Yeah. Yeah, but especially the... Oh, so bad. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I can't really think of too many fantasy animated... Would, would Matilda be considered a fantasy? Not this way. I think not in the That's way that a great this is musical. Is that Tim Minchin? Yeah, it is. Oh, I love Tim Minchin. I should that, check that, that out. It, I saw it in Melbourne and it's really fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a fantasy the same way that, you know, The Little Mermaid is a fantasy. Yeah, I you also know. love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's not it's not a band of adventurers yeah. with hit points and mana and uh, yeah, anyhow. Uh let's see. So Bucket Hat Bobby does a series of vocal character performances. At least that's what I thought. I think this is two people, right? This is Bucket Hat Bobby and then whoever's doing Red. Yeah, I wasn't sure and I forgot to go back and check. Like, I know that he's done some of his songs via streaming and has had people participate that way, but I think it's just him doing the singing in this one. But I could be yeah. I think, I mean, I, I checked the bio and I couldn't tell. And I thought that I'd read the whole thing through, but I, I couldn't tell if there was anybody more than him and the, the female singer. But Gorefelt, whose accent sounds somewhat mild throughout most of the very first verse, somehow quickly turns into Ren from Ren and Stimpy. And uh, all in all, this song is kind of impressive in its scope and message. And I admire the song construction and the performances, but I also don't need to see this musical. Right, next up we have Jim of Seattle with I'm Not together. One of Them. We all gather at the shoreline in the chilly northern breeze. All the boys will tear their shirts off then and dive right in with ease. And I just stand there shivering, maybe once or twice I'll sneeze. And I know she sees. And what does she see? She sees I'm not them. I'm sure she still likes you. Not on the way I wish she did. Oh, I try to fit in, but I don't know. It's like I'm like a pigeon standing dumb among the seagulls. Like a foghorn moaning on a sunny day. I'm that guy you think you know, but you can't quite remember it's like i'm not one of them and on an oyster platter i thought it was a pretty brave move to set this in the same tavern that i hated from last round <laughs> and musically i love this it's right up my alley and the next thing i'm about to say i don't want this to sound like it's a diss because it's not it's i see it as a high compliment it reminds me of back when i was a kid I'm not sure if they still do the same kind of thing now, but Sesame Street Jazz. Like, it's got a Sesame Street Jazz vibe, and I really like that. Personally, though, I'm not sure it's actually an I Want song. 
it's an I want the girl song, which is not the same thing in my opinion. Like there's no character art to aim for and it's just descriptions of this guy who has no interests, really. And I've made a couple of other notes that are not necessarily related back to that. There's the tail that hangs off the cue, and that's what makes a cue a cue and not an O, so that part bothered me. <laughs> like, it's really important for the cue to have a tail. And I thought that people generally preferred biscuits or cookies without raisins in them. Is that true? I thought people uh, didn't like raisins in cookies. Absolutely. No, no, you're, you're 100% correct. So that line correct. didn't make sense. <laughs> But I guess the thing is, it's like if you have a whole sheet of cookies and they have raisins in them, but one of them doesn't. Then ah, that that makes more sense. Yeah, and and also, I, I mean, this this kind of leads. Yeah, this kind of leads to the the I want part that that you know what I noted down is that yeah he wants the girl, which I think is want enough when it comes right down to it if for somebody who. Yeah, I'm not I mean, disqualify it. But. Yeah, yeah, but but also that he he wants love and he wants the girl and he he's so you know obsessed with this one person maybe the first girl in his life that he feels this way about, but but also that he clearly just wants to fit in. Yeah, I've I've written down what does Kevin want in life besides Claire, and he's putting his problems on her, not on himself. Take some ownership and initiative, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. He wants to be a conformist. He wants to be yeah. like everybody else. How can you not admire that? And But if Claire doesn't want to be with Kevin, that's fine, and he should move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah. I, I really liked, musically, I really liked the song. And there's nothing really wrong with the actual lyrics or anything. It's just, it was a bit whingy. Yeah. I thought the song is a fine enough introduction to Kevin. And I love, love, love the density of rhymes in the bridge. And Jim of Seattle is always very adept at that stuff. But otherwise, this song doesn't have a lot of appeal to me. I mean, it has some charmingly quirky similes and metaphors. But as a whole, uh, the song is not really, really funny. And it's not really supposed to be all that funny, I don't think. I get that. But now we're taking this wry introduction to a melancholy, sad sack, Charlie Brown, born loser type of character and judging this song against some other songs in this round that are rousing or touching or inventive or whatever. I think it's going to be a problem for Jim of Seattle this round, uh, at least in my rankings. Some of these competitors submitted the song that you would leave the theater humming. And this is not that song. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's a good song, but it's like one of Stephen Sondheim's lesser-known songs or musicals, by which I mean there's some brilliant stuff in it, definitely, but you're not surprised that it isn't as popular as West Side Story or Sweeney Todd. The longer version of the song in the bio might have been better. It might have had more laughs. Uh, but he yeah, it might have been better, but he was going to put part of the last song in it. Oh, okay. Which would have immediately made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> But he also claimed it was at least twice as long as the submitted song. Seven so, minutes, he said. And what crazy and, and, person would submit a seven-minute song, for God's <laughs> sakes? <laughs> Bonkers. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, so more than twice as long, then, as what he did submit. You know, I don't think this song needed to be any longer than it already is, though. So I would want to see this musical, if only to be subjected to Jim of Seattle's kind of bewildering density of rhymes and his wordplay. And I would go assuming that this number isn't supposed to be kind of the main draw. It isn't supposed to be the uh, the hit single 
in this musical. Yeah, I would want to read the bio of the musical before I decided if I wanted to go and see it. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the songs that I noted right away that it actually sounds like they're on a stage. So Jim got the reverb just right, I think, on the introductory vocals. Like, it sounds like they're together on a stage with a piano. And the piano itself sounds really lovely. And I get what Leone's saying about Sesame Street jazz. It's got really subtle drums that are mostly just a, you know, a kick and a hi-hat that really support the piano nicely. Yeah, it's just really done. It feels like a scene from a musical. And I get what the singer wants. Like, they want to be one of the cool kids so they can get the girl, and I can, I can relate to that feeling. I also loved all the similes. Like, the, my favorites were like a pigeon standing dumb among the seagulls. And like a dandelion right outside the plant store window, I thought those were both nice. And I like that Jim may have written a lot more, but trimmed it down to three minutes for brevity. Yeah, I did appreciate that. Yeah. So if you hate one of Jim's songs, you're only subjected to three minutes of it. So I didn't hate this song at all. I know I've said a lot of critical things about it, but I <laughs> did actually really quite like it. Yeah, he was quite nice, but I'm, I agree with Ryan. It's going to be hard to stand out amongst some of the other songs. I mean, only four are going to move on, so this is not the time to play it safe. Yeah. And his called his song, I'm Not One of Them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we'll see if that turns out to be literally true. Let's move on to Stacking Theory. Doing all caps, Reaper Man, parentheses, all caps. Everything changes, so why can't I? Question mark and parentheses. The Grim Reaper is the one who wants in this song, and he wants to put down his scythe. I think the song is a bit of a head bobber. You know, it has a good groove and a nice chorus, and the vocal layering in the chorus sounds great. It's very different and very dynamic, and I, I really enjoyed that. Also, the song doesn't sound like it's from a musical theater piece, and that's fine. You know, it's arguably better than fine since it doesn't lean on musical theater tropes. You know, it's, uh, it's sort of its own thing, and that's great. Now, I don't want to steal anybody's takes here, but after a couple of listens, I was a little, you know, suspicious. Is this a two-chord song? Is it? I don't know. I might get to that more in a minute. Okay. <laughs> I feel like it's a two-note bass line, but... Yeah, I sus but I suspect it's a two chord, maybe a three chord, though I couldn't tell that maybe that third chord is just an octave up. So his is um, pretty fond of his two chord songs, okay. so it could very well be two chords. All right. This song is fine enough, uh, but it doesn't really make me want to go see the musical. That doesn't mean that it wasn't an enjoyable song, though. Uh, so yeah, again, the, especially in particularly the vocal layering, which I enjoyed quite a bit. 
when you said this song is very much its own thing, I kind of had to suppress a snicker. I'm like, it's very much Lou Reed's thing. Like, <laughs> that, that bass line is the walk on the wild side bass line, I think. It's the certainly the interval without the slide. So it very much sounds like that. Yeah. And, and, then, then, he, and at, then he ends it. And yeah. at the ends, it's got the do, 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 do. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think Lou Reed's estate is going to sue or anything, but I thought it was a. It, it was an homage. They didn't. They wasn't really out and out stealing. So that's cool. I'm um, pretty sure that Lou Reed's estate has those two notes uh, copyrighted. Yeah, <laughs> is it an inter- Is it a fifth interval or something? I don't <laughs> yes, know. He's, yeah. he's the only one. <laughs> only one. What else did I like about this song? I like that death measures time by the rise and fall of empires. I just thought that sounded cool. I like the rhythm section and how it sort of built slowly. You got your bass, your drums. I thought the glockenspiel was spooky sounding and kind of a nice touch. But I most like the rhythm guitar. It had that great skanky rhythm sound that I think just like really propelled the song forward and kept my foot tapping. I also like the cool backwards guitar solo with some buzzy guitars at the end. And uh, yeah, great singing and harmonies, which I also really enjoyed. So for a song that had kind of slower tempo, it kept me kind of grooving through the entire song. It had a nice feel to it. And uh, I appreciated that too. You mentioned in last week's podcast about how Giz was sort of listening to judges and changing what he was doing, depending on what we'd said or whatever. And he's kept his absolute biggest panda for this song because he's expecting to go out this round because, like, everybody's expecting to go out this round because more people go out this round than people stay. So about maybe six months ago, I made a sample pack. And I made it for making stuff for my YouTube videos. And I thought, I'll just make it into a sample pack and see if I can do anything else with it. So I sent it to Giz for his kids to muck around with if they wanted to. And he forgot about it for a while. And then just before Spin Tunes, he said, if I use your sample pack in Spin Tunes, this was before he knew I was a judge. How will I credit you? And I was like, if you use it, don't credit me. <laughs> don't, don't tell me you're using it. Don't credit me. And then he found out I was a judge. And I think he sort of changed his tactics going in because I think he probably <laughs> felt <laughs> bad using, using music that one of the judges had made <laughs> in one of his songs. And so he's stored it all up for this one. So... In this, I'm just looking at my logic file, and I think the bass that I've got in here is just two notes, so it's he's probably just riffing on two chords the whole way through. So the stuff that he's used of mine is the Boots and Cats drums, the marimba, the bass, the backing vocals in the chorus, and the electric piano. So all the vocals are him and all the extra guitars and, and random sounds are him, and the rest is me and he didn't tell me he was doing it until he'd finished the song so it's a marimba and not a glockenspiel it's a marimba yeah no. i can't remember if i played it or if i took some advice from one of your previous podcasts which was to make a song good all you need is an arpeggiated synth and a clav <laughs> <laughs> And so now I try and put an arpeggiated synth in every song. Oh my god! Yes, yes, yeah, you got it. So, you, you so that's where it. that comes yeah. from. And the and the fuck your neighbors when you're singing. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck your neighbors. Oh my god! So somebody listens. <laughs> so... I, I listen. 
Um, oh. So yeah, he's used a lot of the the things from the sample pack, and it's it's super fun to hear a song made from just these little bits and pieces. And so he doesn't actually know this, but I based this sample pack on like a bar of another song. And I think I had an idea for one of our challenges, which was rightfully rejected because it was like a bit hard and just probably difficult for people to wrap their heads around, which is like to do an exquisite corpse type thing. So to take a sample from another song, use it in a song and make a new song out of it. And so he's kind of accidentally done that. So this song has gone from the original song that I made the sample pack from was Love Thy Will Be Done by Martika. And that song originally contained a sample from the Cocteau Twins, I think. And then he's made a new song from it and sampled Walk on the Wild Side (laughs) in the same song. And so it's kind of like this chain of songs joined together, which is quite fun. And I thought that he was pandering to me with Walk on the Wild Side as well. I assumed that he'd chosen that song just to suck up to me. But it turns out he didn't. It was an accidental panda. (laughs) The best kind of pandering. I asked about it and his wife noticed that that something was like Walk on the Wild Side and so he just realised that it kind of fit with the theme of the song and leaned into it. Cool, cool. It's good. But yeah, obviously I love this song. I think it's great, especially all the marimba and and backing vocals and stuff. (laughs) That's the way to get your votes. Put the judges (laughs) in the song. But yeah, I think he played my voice forwards and backwards, which is kind of funny as well, because that particular sample, I'd chopped my voice up and played it forwards and backwards also. So it's a forwards and backwards sample played forwards and backwards. <laughs> oh my gosh. Chumpy knows the, the lengths that I've gone to try to avoid any semblance of favoritism in judging. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. Well, I think I can probably say it now. We're, we're thinking about having on... And leading up to it, we realized that, oh, wait, but she might get reinstated. So we have to, like, walk back our invitation and make it dependent upon all of this stuff. And then we can't, you know, like you mentioned that you thought that should get reinstated in the earlier round. Yeah. And I recused myself from commenting on that because I didn't want to make it look like, well, I want her back in because we favor her because we wanted her on the podcast or blah, 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 or vice versa that we didn't favor her because we wanted to get her back on the podcast or whatever, you know, just any semblance of that. But I see that's all out the window now. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He also sent me 12 jars of Vegemite at the start. (laughs) (laughs) There goes the the illusion of objectivity. (laughs) But yeah, Giz is my husband's best friend. And normally with the songs, we have a constant text chain going back and forth, and we usually listen to everything, but I haven't been listening to anything beforehand. He's just been sending those to Paul, which is good. Nice. <laughs> As above boardership can possibly be when somebody is constantly bribing you. Yeah. We have some extended family in Australia, and they sent us some Vegemite and also some kangaroo jerky. We did, I've we not had eat- that. We didn't need the kangaroo jerky. We gave it to somebody else, I think. But uh, you it's probably gonna be it. one of, you it's going to be one of the one of those. I'm sure it's going to be one of those white elephant things that, that nobody, just goes around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Nobody's going to dare eat it, but they're going to open it up and go, "Oh my god, this is so exotic." Vegemite is delicious, though. It's so good. It's so okay. good. We might open it up then. Have it on crackers. What you need to do okay. is don't spread it like an American. You got to go light with it, right? Yeah. So toast, 
preferably white toast, a lot of butter, and then a tiny, like a quarter of a teaspoon of Vegemite on top of that. It's very strong and it's very salty. And most people who are not Australian end up not liking it because somebody tries to trick them into eating it poorly. Ah, right. They slather it on like it was peanut <laughs> yeah, butter or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's supposed <laughs> to be salad. savory. <laughs> I had a friend at work who is from Australia and he brought some over and he just made like these nice bread and butter sandwiches with it and it was really good. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll crack that one open then. Okay, let's move on to Cave Dwellers featuring Berkeley Social Scene with I Want to Be Me. I thought I'd be an artist But in math I was the smartest I could take the point of farthest My perspective was the sharpest I noticed right off the top is you can hear that live rock sound. So the BSS folks are all back in their practice space after the pandemic and they are recording live, which I think sounds really good. I did notice that like when the vocals come in and in the chorus, when the music gets a little bit loud, the drums are pretty far buried in the mix. So I think Glennie mentioned that as well. So that'd be something to sort of bring up a little bit. My favorite part of this song and my least favorite part of this song happen to both happen in the bridge. So the bridge has these wonderful, tight harmonies that Truth is singing. And these harmonies, they remind me of the band Big Star. Just the super lush, beautiful vocal harmonies that just sound fantastic. But unfortunately, they're seeing the cringiest lyrics of the entire song. That line, uh, Trekkie, Mechie, and Holodecky. So, like, my least favorite part and my favorite part are right in the same place. And I would say if you have some sweet and beautiful vocals with, like, wonderful harmonies, save them for the poetic lines for full impact. Like, don't waste them on the lesser lines. That would be what I'd say. And speaking about, like, pandering to the judges... I noticed Glennie threw in a line about, like, cars and fornication due to my rant of the last Cave Dweller song is not appealing to my lizard brain. So, like, yeah, kinda, I can see that nod, but ultimately this is a nerdy song about mechanical engineering, which doesn't really appeal to my lizard brain. So, nice try on that, Glennie, but didn't quite make it. The production on this is fantastic. All the guitars sound amazing. Like, Glennie's slide guitar playing is so good. I love the crunch on the guitar sounds. The solo is also really, really strong. I'm trying to think of what they want. I want to be me, where me stands for M-E or mechanical engineering or mechanical engineer. It's a little bit of a stretch for I want song. Like, it's not a want that I can relate to, sort of. I don't know. 
Like yeah. he was saying, he wants to be an engineer, but he also wants to be artistic at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with that is, you can be both of those things at the same time. Yeah, it's not neither or. <laughs> right, not and mutually exclusive. And he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One so, one pays a lot more though. The other thing I've written down is, ever since I became a Trekkie, I wanted to become a Mechie. <laughs> Just how to make a Halo decky. The science, it seems circumspecty. <laughs> I hated that line so much. I love it so oh, much. Oh, God. <laughs> it's polarizing. Oh, my goodness. It made me laugh, and it makes me laugh every time it comes up. It just makes me cringe every time, but also laugh a little bit, too. But, yeah, that's all I have to say is I love that bit of the song, and I also love the rest of the song. Damn you. We're going to come up with a song where uh, we're going to rhyme everything with fishy. <laughs> it's just gonna be fishy 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 fishy, 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 fishy yeah but we're gonna stress the e no uh okay so if it is that he wants just to be a mechanical engineer which he might already be then it's probably just the pun you know it's the the pun on me and uh mechanical engineering which is probably hilarious in the mechanical engineering circles along with that other hilarious dad joke about you know you want it faster better and cheaper pick two okay yeah it's it's like something that you'd see on a humorous plaque or on some mechanical engineer's mug from 40 years ago or whatever fine okay fine 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 i, I shouldn't be complaining about that so what can i complain about okay i can complain about the name I know this says Cave Dwellers featuring BSS, but if Cave Dwellers wins Spin Tunes 18, is Berkeley Social Scene going to get a fraction of that trophy? No. No, only Cave Dwellers. Joanne can't re-enter Spin Tunes 18 as Menage Atun featuring Max Bombast, so uh, I'm only going to be calling this group Cave Dwellers. And, uh, Point Imagine taken. if she did re-enter as Menage Atun featuring Max Bombast, though. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. That's really. a fantastic idea. Yeah. This song, of course, Truth's vocals are always great. And uh, Glennie's guitar work is always fantastic. But I think this was a bit of a stumble for them just in general. The subject matter is it's just not very inspiring. And uh, the melody isn't captivating. And I think that's sort of some of the trouble that you get into when you are passionate about something and you can't sort of step back and realize that, you know, the people that you're talking to about it are glazing over. Poor relatability. Yeah. There was one little critique I had, and I am not 100% sure if I'll be correct in this, but he's used tolerance twice in two different ways. And it, like the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, that's a fun little line. And then the second time I heard it, it's like, oh, but you've already said that before. But yeah, that was really the only critique I had. Okay. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's a repeat of the same line or not, but I feel like it's a different line where he's ended with the same word, uh. which was a little bit unusual. Next up is Flub Ub 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 with Lost with the Plant People. Wait, what?
Is that the name of it? Yes, Lost with, Lost the, plant with people. the Plant People. That's what I have on mine too. It's not Olimar's theme? It's not theme? a whole paragraph. <laughs> wait, wait. I think on the Bandcamp it's different. Oh. On Bandcamp it's Olimar's theme. Ah, uh, what Mike has sent through us, or what I've just typed out, is Lost with the Plant People. Same here. <laughs> Let's just go with I'm... Lost with the Plant People. How dare you? No I'm, revisionism I'm here. Now, I'm uh, going to start out here with a question for you both. Okay. Did you notice that this music was familiar? Yes. And it's not you just know because it it's in 5-8. It's take five. Ba-dum, yeah. Ba-dum, bum, bum. By Dave Brubeck. Yep. Yeah. Very yeah. jazzy. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting to just completely rip off someone. <laughs> <But> <laughs> It's slightly different. Well, like right? he ha- he has done some different things with it, for sure. Yeah, I mean the the thing the, the only thing that he ripped off is the beat, and it's sort of like just ripping off. Uh, Walk on the wild side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or any it's, sort of. It's not just the way... beat though; it's the melody too. The piano part. Is yeah, although it does change, it shifts down right yeah, away. Yeah, shifts a bit. Yeah, and he's got his piano tuned in some bizarre way, interesting setting. Yeah. yeah. I was a little bit worried that reading about all the strange advanced music theory and, you know, non-just intonations and tunings were going to ruin the song, but I was happily surprised that they didn't. Well, because the stuff in the foreground sounds in tune. Hmm. And by that, I mean, I know that, yes, it's in tune, even if it's sort of microtuned away or whatever, or not even microtuned, but uh, even if it's, uh, well, I wish Brian was here. He would know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you could approximate this with more traditionally tuned instruments, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was still 12 tone, right? It was just intonated differently. Yeah, and I quite like music like that, and I listen to a lot of dissonant stuff, so this didn't really sound particularly dissonant to me. And I was wondering why I am so absolutely fine with people singing a bit out of tune or people doing this deliberate kind of thing the other day when other people are just grates on them. Yeah. And I think it's because I spent 18 years going to Catholic church with lots of white people singing out of tune every week. (laughs) And to get through that, you've got to develop a bit of a sense of just not worrying so much about it. (laughs) But yeah, I, I like this kind of stuff. I like the sounds, but I didn't feel like there was a particularly strong pull in any direction, and the lyrics felt a bit last minute to me. Yeah. I particularly loved his singing, though. Some of those, like, vocalizations on, like, Bubba (laughs) uh, and the harmonies just sounded so lush and pretty. Like, I would just close my eyes and listen to this and sort of float away. Um, I thought it was super relaxing, and it was easy to get lost in the soundscape of it. It was just really mellow and nice, and uh, I I appreciated the the sort of trippy backwards sounds at the end, and I thought like there was some really ambitious ideas here that I think he largely pulled off. He's always so very adventurous and uh, innovative, and you know trying to come up with sort of new ideas and new things and new approaches, and I I really admire that. And this, even though it is sort of a new approach and he's doing all this different stuff. It's also got a lot of stuff that sounds pretty familiar. Like you mentioned the take five yeah, and you know, and that might just be because it's the best way to do a five, eight song, five, eight and five, four are just 
notoriously awkward time signatures. So if you can come up with something that sounds smooth in that time signature, then you've really scored. And I think if you're going to be doing something where you're sort of changing intonations and stuff as well, it's kind of useful to have something that people recognize mm, it's grounding immediately yeah. in the song. Yeah. And here, another thing that I recognized is it's it's not really there, but this sounds a lot like Vince Guaraldi. You know, sure, it sounds like Take Five, but it also sounds like Charlie Brown. Hmm. So, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Oh. It's the Peanuts theme or the Linus and Lucy theme, I think, is the, yeah. is the common or yeah, the that's most a, that's popular. Yeah, bigger, that's a bigger thing in the USA than it was for me growing up. So, I'm sorry, that's my toy piano doing some of the never apologize for a toy piano <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's um it reminded me a lot of vince Guaraldi, and i think that a lot of the stuff that he's talking about you know bringing out of tuning out of traditional tuning i want to say that has to be sort of more or less relegated to the backing drone while in the foreground we have that nice consistent repeating sort of vince Guaraldi piano sound the uh, the take five and I should mention, I think, that Micah noted in an earlier podcast that sometimes exactly this happens, where an artist will find a workable groove in an unusual time signature and then just lean on it throughout the entire song. I think it works fine in this song, but that's also exactly what he's doing. He's just repeating the same sort of a groove all the way through because it works, even in this weird time signature. I think the song is really big on concept with spaceship crashes and carrot people, but it's really light on lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. It's pleasant, but it didn't really grab me. I would definitely be interested in hearing more music like this, but maybe more as an academic exercise than like a night of musical theater, if that makes any sense. Yeah. it's. I mean, I'd like to see the musical just to see what he does with it. But, you know, it, it might be more something to to just see what happens instead of get involved with the characters. I feel like it would be something that would happen at a fringe festival rather than a whole musical show. You think? Yeah. Some, <laughs> something something where you can be more experimental. Absolutely. And people yeah. will still come and see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would have been better served with putting his creative energy sort of more towards the challenge and less towards the more technical aspects. I don't know. I don't want to call him out on that. I don't I don't want to you know, say anything discouraging about I would want <laughs> I would want to be more discouraging towards cave dwellers in that way than I would want to be for flub up 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 because, you know, they took risks. I've, yeah. Yeah. Cave dwellers. It's like they know what they're doing and they are. I don't want this to sound mean, but there's kind of no way to. Well, they'll to never hear it. Sense. This is it's in the wrong part of the podcast for them. So. Oh, that's right, that's right. So, <laughs> Cave Dwellers is rehashing old prog rock stuff. Yeah. To do their which stuff. is right in their wheelhouse. Exactly, and which yeah. they enjoy and which they're comfortable with. Flubububububub is just is doing stuff that he's, he's reaching out. Exactly, but also he's he's exploring. He's yeah. exploring his own kind of like musical directions and yeah. stuff like that. And I, I think wouldn't say this is in his admirable. wheelhouse. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I think he's yeah, yeah. Uh, if it is, then great. But I think this is him. <laughs> it's a weird house. Yeah. Enjoying music the way that he wants to enjoy and explore and be adventurous with music. Yeah. Next up, we have Daniel Sittler with Miracle. 
I'm as threadbare as my clothes I cut and stitch the finest cloth But it doesn't really show I'm coming apart at the seams I sew And the streets are filling up with snow Winter's cold for me and master And every year it comes a little faster I swear we have the smallest home in Gloucester And the master's never here The poor old bastard It would take a miracle To make it through the winter Warm and unhindered It would take a miracle To make the New Year's rent We'll have to ration every and the protagonist wants to keep the Taylor business up and going. Is that right? Make it through uh, the winter, right? Like without freezing to death or starving. Yeah, and the the protagonists are bunny rabbits. Is that right? Uh, Taylor and his pet cat. Taylor and his pet cat. What was I thinking of? You probably think okay. you paid a rabbit. Beatrix Potter, I think, also did some rabbit stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I got a little bit mixed up, and <laughs> as you can tell, I'm I'm a little further away from complete notes in these later songs. But I, I do have a good set of notes here, so do not fear. <laughs> the protagonist wants to keep his tailor business afloat, not freeze during the winter, make something for the mayor or governor or whatever, and to sing with his cat. So that's the want. And I thought that this song is really sweet and the melody is wonderful. There are a couple of sour notes here and there, but I immediately forgave them all. There were also some syllable smooshing that was going on that uh, didn't have to happen. Like where he goes, I'm coming apart at the seams I sew. It crams the first few syllables together. The line could have been started either a beat earlier or a syllable could have been dropped to read, I come apart instead of I'm coming apart. And that triplet could have been avoided. Phrasing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he could have just rewritten it to make it so that it fit. Or if he preferred to have that triplet, then I think he could have sold it better. He could have like made it say, this is me singing a triplet, you know, instead of rushing through it and de-emphasizing it in order to get to the rest of the line. Let's see, similarly, at some point, he rushes through that name Simka when he could have made it a single syllable, some other sort of a thing, like deer or love, or you know, now that I know it's his cat, I don't actually know what I would put in there. But he could just have uh, you know, rephrased it to make it a little bit better. It took me a while to realize that Simkin was a cat. I didn't realize until... <laughs> I think it was on my third listen. <laughs> I think I, I got it. Why like, is she calling him Master? This, this is a little creepy. Yeah, two hours ago, I found out that it was a cat because I had I like took a closer look at the uh, the bio. But anyhow, yeah, I, I think the female voice should have been the lead on the chorus harmony too, uh, like an octave above what Daniel is doing, and then the male voice, Daniel's voice, could have been the harmony voice. Instead, the male voice is a little low. And it doesn't meld great with the female voice. And if you're doing a chorus, then, you know, just it should be up there, I think, a little bit more. I like the idea, though, that they come together and that they, you know, the interplay between the two of them singing the duet and the chorus works pretty well. 
Oh, absolutely. But I'm just saying that the female voice should have been the lead. Yeah, I think so you're right. So the female voice should have been the lead and the male voice should have been the harmony. They still would have been together. It would have been all great. But then we wouldn't have had it drop down to the chorus with the male voice singing lower, if that makes any sense. I, I am writing this. I'm rewriting this song for them. <laughs> <laughs> Do exactly what I think you should do. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Don't let any of that lead you to believe that I dislike the song because despite all of those nitpicks, I really, really enjoyed this. This is one of those songs where the gut level appeal is going to overpower any of these technical problems that I had with it. It's a lovely song. It is perfectly expository and yes. uh, it makes me want to see this musical. Yeah. I had that in my notes too, that the story comes through really, really well and it felt like a stage drama. So I thought that was really great. I also had the same note about the use of reverb. Sounded like they were in a room on a stage. So that was great. And did you notice that there were live instruments? Yes, live strings and a live horn. Live strings and live horn, and they sounded great. And I think that was very, you know, a theater-appropriate orchestration. I, I really loved the live instrumentation. It was good production. Ryan mentioned that he thought the song was very sweet. And I have in my notes cloying. So it's a little maybe too sweet <laughs> for me, but... I guess it is a kid's story after all, so those are often... On that note, I wrote down in my notes, so sorry to interrupt, but I, th I wrote, if this was a musical, the level of schmaltz would be totally fine and it completely works. Yeah. <laughs> but as a standalone song, it's too much for me and I don't want to listen to it again outside of the context of a musical. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like uh, I looked up in Google like synonyms for schmaltz. <laughs> and I got cloying, so it's funny that we have the same word in our notes. I also noticed that there were a lot of sort of clothing metaphors, like coming apart of the scenes, hanging by a thread, thread of hope. It's a nice yeah. touch, I thought. Yeah. yeah, I liked all those little... I make kind of textile art and stuff as well, so I always appreciate hearing textile references in things. Nice. My first note is one word, and it's the word Gloucester. Mm. They pronounce this as Gloucester in the song. And I think if you're using a place name in a song, you should learn how to say it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because it's not really going to work with my accent when I say it. But when you say Gloucester, it ruins the rhyme scheme for the rest of the verse with like faster and bastard. Yeah. So that kind of threw me right at the start. So I'm just going to go through a, a few words for everybody now or a few place names. <laughs> Gloucester. 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 Leicester. Edinburgh, Dunleary, Cove, <laughs> Melbourne, Brisbane, Queensland. It's not Brisbane. And that is my list of... No, it is not. <laughs> I am Take the ugly American. <laughs> um, I thought maybe the vocals were a bit loud. I thought they could be pushed down a little bit. Yeah, my favourite songs from musicals are the ones that feel really strong as part of the story, but that you can also listen to outside the musical. So this kind of loses a bit of points in that for me, but it's still like a nice song as part of this imaginary musical. For me, it doesn't quite feel like an I want song. It's more like a this is happening and I wish it wasn't happening song. And now that we've had this random chance fall into our laps, we might not starve and it might be okay. Yeah. And I feel like there's kind of a difference between like the two thoughts of I don't want to die, which is I, what I feel like this song is, and I want to live, which is what it could be if it was more of an I want song. Like technically they mean the same thing, but 
in actuality, they're kind of different. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's also a pretty low level want. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty basic. <laughs> it's more of a need, really. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you say we, um, we move on and we talk about Sober's Leave the Ladder? Do what makes you happy. So this is a pretty safe play for Sober. It has all of his usual acoustic instrumentation and obviously his great production. You know, those bluegrass instruments are gorgeous with the mandolin, the guitar, the banjo, and the pedal steel. Uh, all of that just works together super well. And Sober is, you know, very adept at putting all of those instruments together to sound great in a way that is very genre-specific and that works. It's, you know, not as focused on the musical theater aspects of the song as the some of the other songs, and he's really playing to his strengths and not taking chances. And I'm really kind of stretching a little bit to try to find negative things to say because Sober is so very good at what he does. And that that's one thing that made some of the singing things that I picked up on a little bit odd. So I like it when he goes for those high notes on all that we want or all that we ask you, but his voice just doesn't quite get there in a few times. And it's distracting when his voice just cuts out because he can't get that note or he's just not hitting it. And it's in such a stark contrast to the perfectionism that you hear on the rest of it. So. I think he just thought that it was fine and you know it's a human thing and you don't have to get clarity on all of those notes but for me it just sounded just a little bit distracting. I really like the breakdown that happens right about the 2 minute 10 second mark which is really kind of cool with all of the various instruments they add just like a little phrase here and there to the breakdown and the, the breakdown part ends with some really nice harmonies and backing vocals. Like, Sober's got some of the best Oz in the business. So, well, in the business of spin tunes, anyway. I like this, but I thought he's playing it a little bit safe, playing a little bit to his strengths. And I'm not super keen on the generational grievances that, you know, sort of underpin the subject. Like, you know, that whole boomers ruined everything, so why bother message? But to his credit, he gets that message across without coming across as whiny or preachy, so... Kudos to that. Yeah, when I read through the lyrics, they felt a bit whiny like that. And they almost felt a bit cold when I was reading them. But then when you listen, there's like a real humanity there in the performance that just fucks the rest of it off. Definitely. And the lyrics were a bit like that, but I didn't really care because the performance was really good. 
One thing I noticed is that he's mixed his vocals quite low, and I think it's because he knew he wasn't really hitting that high note particularly well. So I think, like, I can mention that, but I think he knows it already. What did you two hear the two as? Did you hear it as a T-O or a T-O-O? There's something for us to climb to. Yeah. Uh, I heard it as T-O. Me too. Yeah, same. And I... I no matter how much I think of it, I can't hear it as T-O-O, and I think it's better as the T-O. I don't hear the comma. Yeah, but yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty good. No other notes. Okay. The I want is that these Instagrammers want the American dream, more or less. They want to do what they're doing and get paid for their passions and, and uh, be able to make a living out of it. And much like Chumpy mentioned, this sounds like a sober song and not a stage musical song, and that's fine. Uh, again, this is not a trope challenge. It's something to you know make your own musical for, at least one song out of your own musical for. And uh, I know that he's not hitting those notes, but I don't care. I think if anything else, it's it's maybe a little bit more humanizing and more real for him to kind of go a little quieter on the falsetto there. And yeah. Oh, I no, always love the real easy to hit. I don't. I don't know why anybody has a problem with that. <laughs> and I always love that Werewolves of London Awu, which you know I've put into a number of Jurgatorium songs in one way or another. And it's it's always very strong, and it's always something that's uh, that's pretty appealing to to kind of do that. And I like it. The bio, though, the song bio uh, made the song less interesting to me. And I'm not I'm sure kind of... that I read it. It's, I know I well, probably should have, but it's very, very short. So you might have read it and just sort of like, oh, okay, so that's what it is. I'm kind of wondering if maybe we are not supposed to sympathize with these protagonists. You know, if these are supposed to be people that he's kind of low key making fun of through this song. And I'm not sure. But yeah, in general, it's kind of like, who cares about these protagonists? And I don't need to see this musical, I don't think. And I don't think I need to see this musical regardless of what side he falls on with this. If, if he likes the professional Instagrammers or if he doesn't like professional Instagrammers. And next up is Governing Dynamics with Home. We scrape the sidewalks of this town every glint any hand of the first brick of our gold. Certainties shattering to shards. I want a home. I want a home. I want no one can take from me, no matter what they think I deserve. I want a home. I want a home. I want no one can take from me. Um, as I've said in some previous rounds of spin tunes, I really like this kind of sound just in general, and I really like Governing Dynamics guitar sounds. They're exactly my cup of tea. I think his vocals may be a little bit too loud, but it's nothing too distracting. I like that indie emo rock sound too. That's in, in yeah. my lyrics too. I'm, I'm a fan of that genre. I'm guessing Travis... 
Travis is his name, I think, yeah. is probably around about the same age because we, we just all like that sound because it's the sound when we were teenagers, essentially. Yeah. It was sort of a weird time for music, I think, in general. There was a lot of bad... There was a lot of bad governing dynamics wannabes out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. There was, there was a point where emo really broke it big, and it was mainstream. And then some of those bands were, you know, they were less inspiring than some of the bands that came before them. Yeah, I like the bands that came before. I like some of the emo bands as well, but, but mostly the ones that came before. Right. I wasn't quite sure what the setting for this musical was. It wasn't super clear to me in the lyrics. And I don't really understand what the context of the line, I want a home, I want a home that no one can burn or siege, no matter how that might be absurd. Like it didn't feel like it fit with the rest of the song. And I'm thinking maybe he's imagining a scenario in his head that he hasn't quite articulated properly in the lyrics or articulated fully. Could be. I kept looking at it through the lens of homelessness. And, you know, they do burn out homeless camps in places. And maybe that's... That was my thought, what that was a reference to. I wasn't sure what the, the context was, but that would make sense. Maybe that could be set up a bit better. Yeah, maybe. That was darker than how I interpreted it. I mean, the protagonist wants a home in this foreclosure-ridden market and world. And I kind of more thought that the whole keep it uh, safe from siege could be more of a general uh, anxiety about being able to lose a home so easily mm, instead yeah. of mm. instead of being literal li- well yeah and i'm probably wrong and i'm fine with that <laughs> no that i like that explanation better than mine this sounds very governing dynamics and not a stage musical yeah. song and that's fine just like the previous one just like sober it's not going to get him into the top four though yeah but this is not a trope challenge so we're just judging this on its own merits and it's good uh it's definitely an i want song but it almost sounds like a better closing song i thought than an opening song or close to the opening song of the musical because it has this kind of semi-melancholy kind of like everybody getting together and rocking back and forth and singing this, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely appreciate that it's serious and earnest. Like a a lot of his songs are, I think I complain a little bit about songs that are frivolous and meant to be funny or novelty songs. That's never the case with governing dynamics. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I took this as sort of a rant against homelessness a little bit. Like, the storefront shuttered and the scavenging in the darkest places kind of painted a dark picture of what it might feel like to be homeless. And I also had in my notes that, you know, Justin didn't really stray from his comfort zone and, you know, try to really embrace the challenge. And I know we talk about that it's not a trope song, but in some cases I just, I feel like I would like it if they just strayed from their comfort zone a little bit and tried to let the challenge sort of change what they normally do or to try to adapt a little bit more to the challenge but this is a good song and actually with some of the musical theater songs that are in this list it's nice to just hear that emo rock sound and those guitars (laughs) that i love so much like it was a it was a nice contrast from piano ballads and like (laughs) you know more theatrical sounds so at the same time i also appreciated you know something i could really cling to 
the the challenge ruined all of these songs except for governing dynamics who just did their own thing <laughs> exactly yeah a little bit and, of that and sober and a couple other ones still yeah, yeah. so i'm going to complain about it and also appreciate it at the same time all right well then let's move on to our last competing entry this is third cat with techno man is that the protagonist wants to be techno man yeah and if i'm right and please correct me on this if i got this wrong chumpy but so he wants to be absorbed by the singularity is that right sort of it sounds like he wants to upload his brain into some sort of robot or into some sort of vast computer that we're all connected to you know it's a, it's a feeling that we've all had <laughs> Well, no, but that, that is the singularity. I mean, there's, oh, is there's it? All yeah. these, there's this theory that at some point in the future, computers are going to get so good and they're going to be able to, you know, take in every part of our being well enough that we can just upload our consciousness to a computer and live forever. Yeah, it's a and terrible thought. It, it's, yeah, well, it's a nightmare because, I mean, yeah, well, anyhow, I, I, I just, it just doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, relatability here. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read any of the sci-fi about it, but I've just heard references to it enough to listen to try and figure out what they're talking about and then realize, oh, okay, well, this seems like a bad idea. <laughs> There's, I'll make a weird diversion. In um, William Gibson's classic cyberpunk novel, Neuromancer, there's a character named Dixie Flatline, who's what they call a ROM construct. So his personality and his brain was essentially uploaded into a, you know, read-only memory device that they just turn on from time to time to help them with some of their hacking endeavors. And he says the same thing every time when he boots up was, am I a ROM construct? Just please delete me. <laughs> That's what I think every time. That's Dixie? Dixie Flatline, yeah. Dixie Flatline. I went on a cruise and one of the um, entertainment was a drag queen who sells Tupperware and her name is Dixie Longgate. And, uh, just oh, I guess <laughs> it took me a second. Yeah. Best name. And she's hilarious. <laughs> she's got stuff on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, so, uh, but anyhow, okay. So, so that was all pertinent. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Which podcast are we on? Okay. No, no. Okay. So, uh, techno man, the singularity. Yeah. So it's this sci-fi thing where, we're all going to live together if we live long enough to get to the singularity. I like there's even this weird little line in the Big Bang Theory back years ago when I was watching that where Sheldon was 
bemoaning the fact that he was unlikely to live long enough to reach the singularity and therefore live forever. So the, the, there's a little bit of an explanation in there for for normies or whatever. But uh, Third Cat, his vocal delivery is a little different for this song, I thought. And I kind of like it when he does new stuff with his voice. I mean, I like his voice in general. Less but processed I also like or... No, no, like like he's affecting a kind of a different tone or a different. Um, it's, it's hard to say, but it's like if you listen to a, a lot of his portfolio and then listen to this song, you'll hear that he's kind of doing something a little different. And mm. again, I like his I like his voice in general, but I also like it when he plays around a little bit. And I think he's doing that in this a bit. The chorus, I love the chorus because it's kind of dizzying in a way that I like a lot. You know, kind of skips over itself drops a couple of beats here and there uh, very purposefully, just like instead of having any lag time that you might at maybe the last two beats of a uh, measure, he just cuts out those last two beats and brings you to the next measure. And it's, again, it's a little dizzying. It's, and it's a, but it's, I thought it's fun and new and inventive and different and, you know, kind of like the surprises that I like to hear from third cat. Uh, also, the guitar solo is really good. We don't hear a lot of guitar solos that way from Third Cat. <laughs> okay, you get your turn. <laughs> and I thought the song never gets repetitive, and I do want to watch this uh, musical. Okay, you get your turn. Say what you want to. About no, the no, no. I just solo. I have I my notes mirror a lot of yours. I I just thought the, the guitar solo was kind of phoned in and not super inspired. Uh, I did like that instrumental break section in general, but yeah, the guitar solo just. Kind of got the job done, but just didn't really grab me. I like how it that section sort of rejoins the chorus. There's like this nice synth swell that just kind of brings it back in, which I, th- I think sounds good. And this like weird chorus thing that you're talking about where he drops some beats and stuff, I think that works well and is, uh, is sort of nicely disorienting. But I'm not sure that this works as an I want song. I feel like it's more of an I will song. And as I was getting back to earlier, that thing about, like, you know, uploading your brain to a robot consciousness is not something a lot of folks feel. So it's it's hard to relate to. So it's sort of... It's so romantic. Yeah, it has just poor relatability, like I mentioned, some of the imagine, other songs. Imagine before. living forever. <laughs> it just sounds oh. so awful. Yeah. Oh, it would sound awful, but you don't get a body during it either. You're just a consciousness. So, <laughs> which is exactly what I don't want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can never sleep. <laughs> you can never evolve. Uh, yeah, wonderful. And eventually, you're gonna watch all of the back episodes of all the TV shows you missed, and then like, what is there left? Yeah. No, it just sounds terrible. I have one kind of problem with this song, and. It's that it's enjoyable to listen to when I'm listening to it, but I literally cannot tell you how this song goes right now. I can't remember any of it except that the chorus has lots of the words techno man in it. Like I, I just, it just doesn't stick inside my brain and I can't figure out why. Yeah. I don't think I could, I could, I don't think I could hum it either. Yeah. But we can probably say that about maybe a quarter of the songs in any of these rounds. Probably. But I've listened to it a lot of times, and I don't remember any of how it goes. Yeah, I get it. It's not hooky. Like I mentioned before, you want to have the song that you're humming leaving the theater. Yeah. And you're not humming this one, maybe. All right, folks. Well, we've got The Shadows next. So next up, we've got Timothy Patrick Hinkle with The Stars Overhead. I long to arrive 
Doctor Who? Here and there. Never seen it. I know of it. I know of it as Doctor Space Time or whatever, but yeah, I've yeah. Uh, never... So Doctor Who has all of these adventures, as far as I understand, and every season or every set of these adventures, he ends up with a different companion, and this companion gets dragged along with him on all of his adventures. And I think this very first one... The uh, song is sung from the perspective of the Doctor's granddaughter, who may be one of his first companions. And what she wants is to stop being drug around the galaxy with Doctor Who, and to just sort of settle down, put up some stakes, and, you know, lead a normal life. And I think this song does a really good job of focusing on the singer's desire to be at home, and I think it does an excellent job as being an I Want song. So kudos to Timothy Hinkle for pulling that off. Musically, I don't have a lot of notes on what this song does. It just To me, it sounds like a lot of his previous work, so nothing really stood out for me here. And I have to apologize in advance as well. My notes on The Shadows are a bit sketchier than normal. Yeah, I haven't written down as many notes for these either but what i did have for this one is like i thought his singing was just beautiful and it's my favorite one of his from this spin tune so far and a couple of the lines that i really liked were no need to erase each trace i'll leave behind and what i think is the chorus which is we swim among the stars i'd rather they were overhead i could be still and watch them wheel across the sky instead and that one kind of like yeah. hit home for That's me good. a bit not from the perspective of being out in space but one of the things that I miss most as an immigrant is my sky here is completely different to my sky back home and that made me think about that oh cool yeah. <laughs> made me a bit homesick uh, which uh, was the point of the song <laughs> <laughs> so good work yeah but then he mispronounced Melbourne, and you, you lost it. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd just like to kind of point out that you know, when we have sketchier notes for the shadows, that's not any shade to the shadows. That is because we are on a shortened timeline. So we've all listened to the shadows. You know, we listened to everything several times leading up. This time we only had like a day and a half to listen to everything. And when it comes to trying to sit down and write cogent notes, that, that's sort of a different ask. So yeah, again, no shade to the shadows. We've each uh, submitted shadows uh, at one spin tunes or another. I know you have Hot Pink Halo and Jurgatorium certainly did several shadows. And we always kind of feel a little cheated when we don't get reviews uh, on the shadows yeah, from same. one or more judges. So uh, please continue to do shadows, everybody. And uh, now listen to my sketchy notes. 
uh, about uh, Tim Hinkle's uh, The Stars Overhead, excuse me, Timothy Patrick Hinkle's The Stars Overhead Shadow. Uh, yeah, uh, as Chumpy already mentioned, protagonist wants to belong, to have a home, to kind of settle down, and in current situation can't quite do that. This is a pleasant, nice, mellow, kind of undemanding song. Tim Hinkle's voice is always very, very appealing. I always enjoy hearing it. And I, I do think it's kind of funny, though. You know, if you if you have some sort of aversion to D&D songs, then here's a treat for you. It's a Doctor Who song. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, a totally different animal. Completely unrelated, <laughs> different but audience. I also think you can listen to this. Like, I didn't actually realize it was about Doctor Who. I just thought it was about somebody traveling through space. So you can listen to this, I think, divorced from the fact that it's about Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first few times that I'd listened to it, I hadn't read the bio yet. And I don't think that you get Doctor Who unless you read the bio. Yeah, I think there's a few, like, place names or something mentioned. So I figured it was referencing something. But I didn't know what, and it didn't really matter that I didn't know what. Yeah. Okay. Our next track is Jocko Homomorphism, Roselit Keep. Here I am fronting for a scam. Work is such a trap. Kitchen knives that can sing burl eyes. No one needs this crap. Tend my stall in a burnt out mall. Where do I begin? I suspect that the architect is entombed within. There is a roseless key facing the ancient deep on shore of the so called real world where we all sleep. Climb up the winding stair. Moonlight will see you there. At heights you can charge your own fate if you dare. Dead and track and I I think Jocko did two shadow songs for this round, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think one of them was, was not not as Yeah, official. yeah, yeah. And this is pretty fun, but I actually liked the other one better, which Me I think too. was the less serious one. This one I've written, my note says kitchen knives in supermarket. And I think that's referencing back to their little story about the um, MLM marketing scheme. Yeah. I think that they were involved in. And it reminded me of this time that we were back in a supermarket in Australia. I think we were visiting my parents one time and there was a knife salesman in the supermarket and we were chatting with them. Um, one of the other customers and they were like oh yeah ne never get sucked into these things blah 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 they're terrible blah 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 and within about 20 seconds of the person starting their pitch this person had bought about 50 knives <laughs> <laughs> it was the most hilarious turnaround to to watch of anything in my life <laughs> i think the line is kitchen knives that sound like burl ives or something like that which is oddly yeah. specific Kitchen knives that can sing Burl Ives. Yeah, there I mean, we go. Yeah, I don't know what Burl Ives is. He's best known, I think, for... Well, not best known, but to, to my generation, I think he's best known as singing on the animated Christmas stop-motion animation Frosty the Snowman. There was uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There was... Again, it was all sort of stop-motion that I believe... 
you know, Tim Burton was really uh, influenced by and led him to make a uh, nightmare before Christmas. But of oh. course these were made oh, 30 years earlier than that. Yeah. What are the names yeah, I thought days? this was pretty fun, but I just liked the other one better, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. I guess is when you put in two songs, somebody's going to like one of them better than the other one. I felt he he sort of left his comfort zone, right? Like this doesn't sound like a Devo or a Jocko song. It actually sounds like it's from a musical. So kudos for stepping outside of his comfort zone. I thought it maybe needed to come up a half step. It was a little low for his voice in a couple places. And so the singer has this crappy job that may be a cult. <laughs> it's not super clear what they want. I, I assume they want to escape this crappy job slash cult. Uh, other than that, I think it's, you know, well-produced. I thought it sounded, you know, clear and well-mastered. So definitely a good song from Jocko. And I think he's improved a lot on that front. So pretty nice. Yeah. I think he's he's singing more in this song than he usually sings in songs. Yeah. I might just be forgetting a bunch of songs that he clearly, clearly, you know, very melodically sang in. But the ones of his that stick out to me are the ones where he does kind of the more talk singing. Uh, sort of stuff and even if that's really emotive talk singing it's still sort of that that's what i associate him with in my head and that's what the last few songs (laughs) have felt yeah yeah but his i don't think his voice is bad in this one at all i think he should do more sing singing because i think he's talented and i think he should he should i think they should do that and what does the protagonist want in this one i couldn't quite figure it out I think. Yeah. Let me. I'm just reviewing the lyrics. I'm not entirely sure I understand what the rose lit keep. Yeah, I didn't get that it's... either. There was a reference to a strange religion that I couldn't pronounce in there. I'm I'm skimming this stuff. It's hard to tell. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. We probably gone. Dis- I think we're going to disqualify this one. Yeah, definitely not going <laughs> to be in the running. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think it's a great, uh, charming performance, uh, and the lyrics are fun and funny, and I think the song is fun pretty much all around. And I like how the lyrics are pretty dense with great rhymes. You know, he's uh, he wrote some good lyrics, even if we can't quite tell what he was going for. But yeah, I think it's a great performance, and it was a fun listen, and I never minded it when it came up. And just from this song, even sort of not knowing what it's about, I'd want to hear the rest of this musical. Uh, next up, we have Jealous Brother with I Need You, Jake. As for what the protagonist wants, 
The protagonist wants his friend Jake to go back in time to 1958 and then wait a few years to prevent the Kennedy assassination. It's based on a Stephen King time-traveling story, I guess. It took me a while to realize that this was about the JFK assassination. And I yeah. think that's probably because I just, I don't care as much about American political stuff as Americans do. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to not remember what this song is about because this song is entirely exposition. And it's sort of dispassionate exposition. So it's kind of like just kind of going over what needs to happen without any character development whatsoever. Yeah. And that's officially fine, I guess. But if you got all exposition and no emotion and no character development, then it's kind of hard to care about anything that's going on. So it can be neat that there's this sort of convoluted plot that they're involved with, but uh, it didn't touch me. And I'm not interested in this musical. But I mean, okay, now having said all that, great production, great performances, and please continue to do shadow entries, even though, you know, this didn't kind of reach out and grab me. I've, uh, you know, really enjoyed a lot of the other Jealous Brother songs. And I think that they should, you know, continue to make songs uh, and submit them for spin tunes, every spin tunes. I like the music behind this quite a lot. You know, it had soaring vocals and sweet backing vocals and harmonies and jangly guitars. And I thought the snare sound on the drum was really nice, and it had some enjoyable melodies and uplifting guitar solo and, you know, lush production. So there was a lot to like here. You're right, it's, it was very exposition-heavy, and that it could have been much clunkier than it actually was. You know, trying to tell a sci-fi time-traveling story in song form, it's, it's hard. And, like, you know, we've, we've dinged, I think, a, a number of songs in previous rounds who have tried to tell elaborate fantasy stories in song form and have fared much worse than I think the Jealous Brother did here, so... But yeah, I agree that it was hard to emotionally connect with when it's mostly exposition. It did make me think about what I would do if I went back in a time machine somewhere. And I always find it funny that people talk about going back in a time machine to do really big things like, you know, kill Hitler or whatever. But I think it would be a better use of your time just to go back in time and be kind to someone. <laughs> you would probably get more done. <laughs> like go back in time and just convince. be nice to a random person and, and <laughs> they might have a better life <laughs> alright what do you say we move on to Brother Baker with On That Day And of course, I, I really like this story. The Princess Bride is a, is a great book and great movie. 
And I think we all love the character who sings the song, the protagonist. And Brother Baker, they also had kind of an emo thing going on that I think was very much their style and the kind of music that they wanted to make. And I think they stepped a little bit outside of their comfort zone as well. I mean, I'm happy that this song sort of sounds like it belongs in a musical. The vocals are a delight. I'm not sure, but I think both brothers are singing. Like, the one sings the high parts and one sings the low parts. And some of the backing vocals are super satisfying. Like, on Cut My Father Down, that whole down backing vocal I thought sounded just great. I also like the instrumentation. Like, it's got brass and electric piano and bongos and electric guitar. Just really well done, well produced. And I think if they would have had actually survived to round three, that this song would have been a contender. Yeah, if I could go back in a time machine, I would go back and I would rate them a little bit higher than I did so that I could get this song through to the top 13 because I really love it. Oh, I'm glad you liked it too. It was so much fun and you can tell that they're really enjoying themselves and it's got a lot of energy and I like how they've chosen musical styles that reflect the character. Yeah. My notes for this are minimal, just again, because of uh, time constraints, but I enjoyed this every time it came up. Uh, I would definitely was... keep listening to this again. Yeah, and I would want to w- watch the musical, unless the musical is The Princess Bride, the musical, which I wouldn't be surprised if it already exists somewhere. <laughs> Disqualified. <laughs> Have you both read the book, The Princess Bride? No, I need to, though. Oh, um, it's so good. It's like, oh. the film is great, but the book is just amazing it's tremendously fun and it's got a lot of other stuff that this this kind of meta stuff that is just incredibly fun to read cool i'll I'll definitely put that on my list if i remember right and i could get this completely wrong but i think the book is by a guy named william goldman who is not known for his sort of fantasy writing he's known for the marathon man and i think he did sort of a lot of kind of 70s schlocky type thriller books and stuff like that and then the princess bride just out of nowhere so yeah i'll I'll definitely check that out and i'll delete this part if i look on wikipedia and find that i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) oh uh but but yeah i'm I'm sorry it's just that i enjoyed the song a whole lot i liked it every time it came up Uh, i want to see this musical and yeah it was catchy i liked it The next song we have is Dr. Lindyke featuring Denise Hudson, Spread My Wings and Fly. You'd think my family would see that big old stupid lummox Ain't good at nothing much at all Except thinking of his stomach But he's the boy and even though my brother is a slob He gets respect from all we know He even gets a job And I don't think it's fair And I don't think it's right To say that this is just not right you won't catch me uh, the first thing I've got written down from this one is can you feel the love tonight <laughs> who's that by 
Elton John from The Lion King. Oh, okay. It's it's not exactly the same. I don't know if they've used that as a basis to make the song or if they've just accidentally... Like, I accidentally rewrote um, Take On Me by AHA once and then listened back and went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if they've accidentally written Can You Feel The Love Tonight, but it's there's parts of it that are very, very reminiscent of that song. One of the lines that I really liked in this was of jungles and of pyramids that I'd like to appear amid, which I thought was clever and super fun. And it was nice hearing another female voice come up again. This is where my notes get super sketchy. I have G and P tune, so that's guy and gal and piano. I think that's all the instrumentation that there is there. And pretty sure that's Dr. Linda playing piano. And Denise Hudson, a.k.a. DJ Ranger Den, who has been, I believe, a judge on spin tunes multiple times. Um, I thought she delivered a solid vocal performance, and I thought it was pleasant enough. And that's pretty much where my notes end. I didn't get a lot of detail on this song, just that I thought it was, you know, not offensive, not super gripping and catchy. Uh, just kind of was there, um, but, but I did note that DJ Ranger Den can really sing, which I've noted before. And uh, yeah, I, I would like to hear more from her. I hope she enters Spin Tunes sometimes. Yeah, I think this is a fun, good song. What I got out of this, in just at least in sort of terms of the general gist of the protagonist, is it's it's kind of very somewhere over the rainbow. You know, it's very part of your world, sort of a I want song. And I think it's really effective that way. My notes are a little sketchy, and I apologize about that. Again, that's a time thing. Wonderful vocal performance by Denise. It's uh, just got so much good character in it. And it's so much not just singing the notes. It's really kind of getting the words across in a way that's, uh, you know, so charming and and full of character. And I like it a lot. All right, next up we have Menage a Tunes, song Jackass Annie. I'm gonna buy a broke-down racehorse, gonna take my dog and go. Gonna head down south before the main snows fly. Gonna see this country while I can, from New York to L.A. And I'll see that big Pacific by and by folk here call me jackass annie cause i ride one into work and i'm known for wearing trousers round the town don't make sense to wear a dress and pearls when mucking out the barn yeah i'm stubborn but i won't let things get me down like it's Joanne singing in her sort of confident and strong vocal delivery. Um, and then eventually there's sort of a cowboy themed backing music that comes in that is probably done by Ted. Um, and then, you know, my, my main note is that this is, this is pretty good and I'm glad, I'm glad Ted and she are making music together again. But I just wish that, you know, whoever mixes this song, I just wish that they would do something to make Joanne's vocals mesh better with the backing track because this is just a really obvious like pasted on karaoke sound where the the backing track is in a totally separate universe from the vocals and it's it's hard to get past 
I, I could be wrong, but this might be one of those things. I remember uh, during the listening party kind of wondering if it was one of those things where in previous spin tunes, Joanne had sort of used a, karaoke, a more or less karaoke backing track for one of her songs. And so if she has her own special kind of newly composed melody that she puts on top of it, then that's fine. But it might be a loop or a, a karaoke track. It might not be Ted. Oh, okay. I'm not sure, and I should probably look at the... Uh... That would make sense. I would really love if she learned how to do some music mixing and making stuff on the computer. I'm not sure if she just doesn't want to, but I feel like she could get a lot out of it. Here we go. Words, tune, vocals by Joan Abbott, additional vocals by Dave Lay. But then after that, it says, helping me figure out the chords for Bandcamp, uh, dash Stephen Hancock. So helping me figure out the chords for Bandcamp. Yeah, that's, I'm not sure exactly what that means either. Yeah, but it was sort of no musical credits while she gave credits for everybody else, including a thank you credit for it. Yeah. So my, my guess would be that Ted didn't have anything to do with it, and it might have just been a pre-recorded sort of a thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe she meant from Bandcamp, like she found some music without lyrics on top of it. Oh, and... yeah. That makes, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, anyhow. Next up, we've got Cybronica doing Banshee. notes on so this is a story of a haunted house and the singer is a trapped ghost and maybe doesn't necessarily realize that she's trapped in this haunted house and is pretty much imprisoned there because of you know grudges that she had in real life or that she just she can't let go of she's trapping herself in this house which i think is a really cool idea for a story and it fits well with the halloween theme i know that we judges had talked about doing a Halloween-themed challenge for this round, but I think the consensus was we didn't want to hear 21 different Halloween songs. Speak for but yourself. I do like that we did get a Banshee song and a Grim Reaper song. Yeah, so yeah. people did it anyway. Well. I thought the, the piano sounds haunting and it fits well with the song concept, and Cybronica can really wail. So she's got that scream like a Banshee line, and it sounds great, especially on Scream. And, you know, she's got some amazing vocal chops. She's got some really spooky, ah, uh, backing vocals that sound really good. There's some cool stereo bouncing and long reverb effects during the very spooky-sounding bridge, and some scary wailing sounds on the final choruses that also sound really good. 
I think Cybronica could really get a lot out of having just some better and more mixing experience because this, this ended up sounding a bit muddy and muffled. So I think at some point we all learn to use some of those presets from tools like Ozone or upping our mix game a little bit can really help to bring some of our songs louder, but also more clear in all of the various audio spectrums to sort of make it sound more balanced. I think everybody should learn some of these tools and just, you know, get better at making their own music because it allows them to just be more expressive. Yeah, and if somebody bails on you, you don't have to rely on them. Exactly. <laughs> which is always nice. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I thought this one was really quiet, which wouldn't normally be a problem, except the song that came after it was really, really loud. So it kind of shocked my ears a bit a couple of times, which is never super pleasant, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, I thought this was really good, and I liked all of the lyrics, and I've written down one in particular that I liked, which was, These walls became my prison, I'm willingly confined, I've painted them with everything I couldn't leave behind. There was just something about that that stood out to me. But yeah, the, the Banshee is an Irish mythology story, oh. which is quite fun, and there's this really great podcaster called Blind Boy Boat Club, and he has written a bunch of short stories, and he wrote a really good one about the banshee in his first collection of short stories they're kind of like absurd and a bit creepy but pretty fun yeah i'll read out the uh, the little banshee bio from wikipedia for you so a banshee is a woman of the fairy mound or a fairy woman and she's a female spirit in irish folklore who heralds the death of a family member usually by wailing or shrieking or keening her name is connected to the mythology important in Tumuli or mounds that dot the Irish countryside, which are known as Shida in Old Irish. I think I've said that correctly, but I'm not sure. Mm. But yeah, it was. I thought this one was quite fun, and I liked having a little local reference. Nice. <laughs> it's so to Cybronica's strengths, and it makes sense that she chose this as a topic. Uh, to write a song about and she nails it really i mean i know that there's a, maybe a couple of little production problems here and there but in general it, it seems so natural that well of course she would do this and that she would excel at it and that she would just nail it so very very well so yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed do, the song a lot i do think she's got a lot better at recording her voice in the past year or so i think she got a new mic or something maybe a year ago and a new setup and i think she's using it really well yeah. I do think it's a shame that we still haven't gotten our pleasantry song that we wanted to hear. And by that, I mean, you know, you have these two very talented people, these two people with great senses of music in general, and then also two very talented performers. And like, even if their voices aren't similar, you know, that's that's never been a problem in the past. You know, you've got examples like uh, like Joe Cocker and uh, Jennifer, uh, what was her name? Jennifer Werns, I think. And then like Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. Yeah. You know, it's like these are guys w whose voices are all character and no, me saying this is somebody who's not a vocalist, but the male voices seem like they aren't any real, you know, practiced, cultured talent for the male voices and then for the female voices you have some people who can really belt it out and know what they're doing 
And that could have been pleasantry, but it wasn't. You know, we would have loved to have heard a duet. Oh, it can and, still be. It's, they've got time. Yeah, absolutely. There's two more rounds. And there's an infinite number of song fights that they can just come on and dominate if they give us the duet we want. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll figure out the instrumentation, the topic, the general sort of tempo, the key, and then you can write the rest of the song. Already know that we want arpeggiator, we want a clav, <laughs> and a lot of backing vocals, and we'll, we'll be all set. And fuck the neighbors. And fuck, fuck the your neighbors. neighbors. Yeah, screw them. If they don't enjoy it, then they don't know what they're what they're missing out on. We got one more song, Ryan. Oh my God, Jocko Homomorphism, doing. I don't want to do a musical. We were at Tim Tunes. Everybody had matching vowels. Somebody just had to be judged. They called for a musical. I don't want to do a musical. I want to rock opera. Uh, <laughs> delightful. <laughs> delightful. I literally, literally LOL'd, cackled myself silly while listening to this. <laughs> so, such a good vocal performance, too. Such a great, great, great vocal performance. Jocko you know, so really perfect. sounds like Fred Schneider here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> He's just Brilliant. got that over the top vocal delivery that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then, what's the, what's that line? There's, oh, there go my ratings down, down, <laughs> down. That is so perfect. I love this song. I also yes, love I, I love rock I love rock lobster too. So, and it's a very very faithful cover in the best way. So funny. So it's short and sweet and to the point and. Yeah, hilarious. It's short enough that you can listen to it like five times in a row and still love it. Yeah, yeah. hilarious. Which I probably have done that so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, it, yeah, lovely. Perfect. And also I love and the he, uppers. Yeah, and he has a want in this. He wants, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do a musical. <laughs> he wants a rock opera. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, perfect. Great stuff. When I was in junior high, or no, when I was like a freshman in high school, I was in a lip sync band that performed Kiss lip syncs. We had a very talented Kiss impersonator that I went to high school with, and I keyboards. And I remember we had a gig at this like local sort of new wave teenage youth thing where they played records and kids danced and. I remember, like, after our gig, I stayed for the dance, and then they played this song at the end, and I remember when Fred Schneider would go, down, down, like, all of the kids would just, like, get on their knees and wriggle around on the floor, and then they'd jump up again when it, when it came back in. It was totally cool. I have loved this song ever since. All right, that's all of the songs. That's it. We're done. Yeah, do we want to do any sort of talk out how people might be rating what are people's favorites 
well, stacking theory. <laughs> <laughs> and buy your vote with <laughs> by putting judges See, the thing in your is, song. Like, he's pandering so much, but he's also making songs that I really like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've been able to convince yourself to to rank him pretty high then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're rationalizing it through uh, talking it out with us in this podcast. No, we give we give you permission. Let's see. High on my list, uh, we got Daniel Sittler. I feel like yeah. that he really nailed the whole I Want song, which I appreciated. I also liked all the live instrumentation. So he's definitely pretty high up there. I also like the Stacking Theory song a lot, too. I don't know if it's going to quite make my top four, but... You know, right off the top, I can't think of anything else that I really, really liked. I guess I have I to... I really like Szymanski as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put Brian Gray right up there. Oh, yeah. yeah probably yeah. also. Yeah. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to come up with an order that I'm happy with. Yeah. It might be a, a miss for Jim of Seattle. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Sober's got to be right up there, like... Cause He's, he has so many just flawless performances. It's really, it's really hard to annoying. to ding him. It is annoying. Like, but I yeah. feel like he he belongs really high up there. I'm glad that we have a little bit more time to do our rankings. Yeah. To figure this out, but you know, in the in the upper upper bucket, maybe two or three, and then in the ones that I don't think should go on, just a couple, and but you know the vast bulk of these songs are right in the middle where it could go either way for me. What do you think about Chaz Rock? How do you feel about that? Like you're pretty bullish. I like it, but you know, I don't think it's better than Daniel Sittler. If we could just rank the songs, if we could just give them a star value, that would be fantastic. Yeah. But we can't, we have to rank them against each other. So it's not like we can just say, Oh, everything's pretty great. Uh, or these many songs are pretty great. It's like, we have to, parse out you know which we liked better than the others and that gets impossible after yeah. a while and i have to take the challenge into consideration like i really liked flebia's you know detuned piano and i just i enjoyed the floating atmospherics of it but like maybe it didn't embrace the challenge that well and i might feel bad like ranking it like in the top four when other people you know did much more with the challenge so I have a hard time just ranking the songs I like the best. I, I try to like rationalize how well they, they did with the challenge. That's where you and I differ. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. You just no, go, there's, the there's, gut impact is really a big thing. I agree with them. Yeah. But there's, there's also balance because like if there wasn't balance, then, you know, Temnir wouldn't have scored so high just because again, uh, what is it? Um, genre bias. Yeah. But I, I can vote past my genre bias if I see, you know, that an artist is clearly super duper talented and has all of these things that, that show their genius in one way or another. So, but gut level, gut level's big. Yeah. If I want to hear it again, then that's a big deal. Any other stuff that we should uh, talk what about? What disappointed you? I was disappointed by Jim of Seattle. I'll say it. Yeah. I thought that the song is a little too wry, uh, a little too melancholy. And I don't think he was going for laughs like last round. I think he was going for character development, and I got that. But I still don't think I care about Kevin all that much. And um, I don't care if he gets the girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I kind of almost hope that he doesn't. (laughs) Kevin may not be all that great. Let's face it. Yeah, we were all Kevin at some point or another. (laughs) I didn't get the girl. (laughs) Why should he? (laughs) There's something else to that, though. So. What about you, Leonie? Did anything really disappoint you? I don't think anything really disappointed me, but it is, yeah, it's going to be super hard because I tend to rank on gut level first, but I do try and think about a bit more than that. And it is hard to get past genre bias sometimes. I don't think there's anything really that I was particularly genre biased against this time. Like I love musicals and I also like songs that aren't musicals. So the ones that weren't super, super musically didn't really matter. Yeah. So what if stacking theory is in the top four and what if the next challenge is what, you know, what we've been talking about quite a bit, meaning the two chord challenge, because <laughs> they just did a two chord <laughs> song. <laughs> it's a little awkward, isn't it? It's a little bit awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Say, do what you did last round. Do what this one guy did last round. <laughs> Maybe we're playing to yeah. their strengths and that's fine. Like, yeah. You know, Brian... You're always going to be playing to somebody's strengths, exactly. no matter what the challenge is. It was Brian Gray this time around. And Jim of Seattle, too. He's, yeah. he's done musicals before. And, oh yeah, come to think of it, I've, I've neglected to... I think I was thinking about it at the time, but I neglected to mention that uh, two chords are not enough chords for a song and they should be disqualified. <laughs> yeah, if you're only using two chords in a song, you're doing something terribly, terribly wrong. I was um, but, thinking of doing, if that is our challenge next time, I was thinking of doing a shadow and just making my bio just two chords in the truth. <laughs> because my last <laughs> one was just three chords in the truth. I don't know what the song will be, but that will be the bio. We'll see. Again, I'm, I'm hoping for some of the others for the reasons I've already enumerated. But It will uh, be but pretty I'm funny fine. if we've talked about all this and then we don't do it as the challenge. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's true. All right, but we'll see. I mean, I'm fine with it if it's the two chords, but I, I think that there are problems with it, and I've already talked about them elsewhere. So, so again, I'm fine with it. I'm sure we'll get great songs. Hope it's something different. Okay, are, are we running out of stuff to talk about? We are. I think we're almost done. So then at this point, we ask for plugs. We ask for call-outs. We ask for our guests to let people know where they can find her stuff. I don't think I've got anything in particular to plug, but if you want to see my artwork, you can see it at www.crumpart.net, crumpart.net. I'm on Instagram as crumpart underscore draws, and I'm on Songfighters Hot Pink Halo. For the Americans, that's underscore drawers. No, sorry. <laughs> D-R-A-W-S. <laughs> Draws, yeah. Okay, great, great, great. And then shout outs. I will start off by doing my typical. I want to um, shout out to my husband, Andre. Thank you for your love and support and your patience. And I uh, want to shout out to Brian and Alan, uh, Brian without whom Jerkatorium would not exist. And I want to shout out to Leone, Crumpart, Hot Pink Halo for joining us at, you know, this weird uh, chasm, this, this long span of uh, time zones away to join us for this podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're very, very happy uh, with how this is sounding. Thank you. 
I would like to thank my husband for coming and pointing out that I hadn't plugged the microphone in. <laughs> Let's see. I'd like to thank my wife, Sarah, for being understanding. She brought me hot tea during the podcast, which is nice. Keeps the vocal cords going. So she's incredibly sweet and understanding. So thank you, Sarah. I'd like to give a shout out to Owl, who I think really livened up our podcast. And, you know, I saw a number of comments on the Songfight bulletin board that people liked hearing Owl's reviews and her thoughts on things. So I think we've done pretty well in choosing people to be on the podcast. So just imagine how much worse it would be if it were just us, Ryan. Oh, my God. Unlistenable. Unlistenable. Yeah. But actually, I have another shout out too. shout out again to Third Cat. Thank you for pointing out the math error in the rankings. Again, it was very noble and selfless of you. And I thought it was really cool. All right. I think I can hear the theme music playing, folks. We are out. We are out.